A warm up from Eva. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. Well, technically it's Henderson, Las Vegas, but it's lovely Las Vegas. I mean, we're coast to coast soup with myself, Greg Gibbs and we've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by Curtis Rogers. Does a great job of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle. Going to be chatting with him about just how difficult it is, Gage, who should be number one in college basketball right now. Take a look at some of the Pac-12 teams that have surprised and disappointed and take a look at some of the games that we're going to be getting on this betting board for Tuesday. So we're going to have some fun there. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Tuesday and a little something like call bank shots. First things first, always love to be able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. And you got one or two ways to be able to offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Did not wind up getting in any Twitter questions today, and we had quite a few games that involve fairly hefty spreads, but we've got to talk about history being made yesterday. So let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Monday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The St. Thomas Tommies got their first conference win as a Division I member. 80-73, our New York Post play of the day of St. Thomas winds up coming through. For those of you guys like me with the under, Omaha wound up scoring 10 points in the final 35 seconds in this game. That was an absolutely soul-crushing beat. So that was very brutal. I do apologize about that as Omaha. They went 11-25 from three-point range. St. Thomas 14-31 of on Omaha. I think we wound up hitting three threes in the final, I would like to say, 35 seconds of this game. So that was interesting as you wound up having Omaha just continuing to give up the arc. And this is a St. Thomas team that committed three turnovers in this game. They actually play at a bottom 75 pace, but they're actually in the top 30 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis. And they showed that off there. Oral Roberts is showing that they still have a little bit of fight from that team that was able to be so good last season. 82-73 to the final. Max Aismas, best player out there on the floor in this game. He was able to pump in there 32 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists. Isaac McBride comes off the bench for 16 points, 4 boards of his own. And then for South Dakota, you tell that without A.J. Pleaswit, this has not been the same team as he has been out all season long. They were able to get actually 19 plus points out of Xavier Fuller along Tazos Camateros and then Cruz Petio Hunt. But outside of those three guys, you wound up getting a combined 13 points out of the rest of the team, and that wound up sinking them. Notre Dame was able to take it to Western Michigan by kind of 85-52. to 52. If you wound up having the under in this game, you wound up having pretty much the last buck 25 of this game be scoreless, so you were able to catch a little bit of luck there. As for Notre Dame, they were just able to sink their threes in this game. 14-31 from distance, Western Michigan, they go just 6-25. of 25. And for Notre Dame, they wind up actually losing the rebound battle by kind of 35-34, to 34. but how about what you were able to get out of Mr. Wesley as Blake Wesley was able to do a terrific job in this one with 15 points eight boards, three assists, and for Western Michigan, you did have Lamar Norman Jr. be able to chip in their 15 points, and really nobody else came to play in this one, so that was a little bit unfortunate. It was unfortunate if you wanted Dagan Charleston Southern, like I did, 99-75, to man, and just completely bludgeoned them, as Jose Perez wound up having one of the better performances that you wound up seeing on Monday. He was able to put in their 24 points for this Manhattan team. They had 55 shot attempts, and they wanted coming up with 99 points. The reason, they went 35 of 41 from the free throw line. That is, it's Charleston Southern team, ladies and gentlemen. Charleston Southern, one of the least efficient defenses in all of college basketball. And 
if you take a look at the faults, they racked up 27 of them. So that was very interesting to say the least. And that was out there in the same event that the Citadel, as a double-digit favorite, wound up losing outright to South Carolina State at 74 to 57. This South Carolina State team is actually one that is climbing up my projections as we speak. They wind up being able to shoot about 46% from the floor. They actually did a solid job on the glass as well, playing even up against the Citadel 40-40. Now, Aiden Brown had a great day for the Citadel. 26 points, 14 rebounds. Problem is, nobody else did anything in the Citadel. 5 of 29 from three-point range. That's certainly not going to cut it. Gonzaga wound up in the first half of their game against Northern Arizona having 48 points as they were up big in that one. I'm doing this a little bit earlier, so I don't have a final on this game because you've got myself filling in on the Vegas Ads and Information Network all week long on the look at, just like the Greg Peterson experience, it's the same time, 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern time, if you're looking Pacific time, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m., so we linger into two days, so we've got some fun, fun, fun there, and what else is fun? Being able to watch South Dakota State. They wind up taking it to UMKC by kind of 89 to 57 for UMKC. They allowed South Dakota State to go 6 of 14 from three-point range, which isn't bad, but South Dakota State went to the line for 30 free throw attempts. They made 29 of them, so I want to bring them Baylor Shireman, 10 points, 11 rebounds, and for UMKC, 727 from three point range. And if you're looking for demonstrative trends right now when it comes to overs and unders, you're not really finding them as of right now. What you are finding though is that Delaware State is right now a very, very poopy team, and they wound up doing battle with Wagner on Monday. And with Wagner, boy, they bludgeoned them 93-51 to 51 the final. So you wound up getting an over with Delaware State only being able to contribute 51 points in that spot. Very interesting to say the least. And for Wagner, this looks like one of the better teams out there in the NEC. They go 12 of 28 from three-point range. And for Delaware State, they want to commit 23 turnovers to the 16 of Wagner. So just a complete and utter mismatch. Georgia was able to get by Western Carolina, but they were unable to get the cover by kind of 85 to 79. I know many guys ask me, what's wrong with Georgia? Tom Crean is their coach. Simply put, you have Georgia go 9 of 26 from three-point range in this game, but Western Carolina, 12 of 46. So a Carmelo Anthony-esque performance from them from beyond the arc. You wound up having 20 points off the bench from Travion McCray. So that was a little bit harebrained and for Georgia. You were able to get 21 points out of a little bit of a younger guy and Cario Oquendi, who has been able to really rise up a little bit for this team. Miami, they get a win and cover against Setson by kind of 82 to 72 for Miami. This team just hasn't been good the last few years. They wind up going in this one 14-29 from three fire range with Setson. 13 of 26 from distance to be able to hold that base. So got to give them a little bit of credit though for Miami. Had to like what you saw out of Cam McGussie who was able to chip in their 27 points. So he was able to have himself a relatively solid performance. And Maryland Eastern Shore wound up entering into Monday as one of the top cover teams in all of college basketball. Their cover run came to an end. Charlotte got a 70-54 to win as the University of Maryland Eastern Shore went to 7-30 from three-point range. They only committed seven turnovers, but Ball just was not falling for them. Meanwhile, for Charlotte, you were able to have 20 points and 9 rebounds out of Jameer Young. And then Purdue winds up being unable to get a cover against Incarnate Word. The Word was able to hang in there. 79-59 to the final as you wind up having Benjamin Griskiti be able to give this Incarnate Word team 14 points. So for Purdue, they still bludgeon Incarnate Word on the glass by kind of 46-23. to Purdue wound up winning this game while going just 11-32 of from three-point range at 8-15 of at the free throw line. So if that's their B game, just imagine their A game. And for Baylor, they were able to take down Alcorn State 94-57. 
to 57 as they were able to cover a big number as Baylor in this one. They do wind up being able to shoot 15 of 20 at the free throw line. We're actually going to talk to Curtis Rogers about the top teams at all of college basketball. We're going to bring up Baylor's free throw shooting and how much of a concern it should be. But for Elkhorn State, you just had really nothing doing for the team. You were able to get 12 points, 6 rebounds out of Jerry Sagnew, but that's about it. So that is what we wanted to see in college basketball on Monday. Now let's turn the page forward to Tuesday. Let's talk a little Pac-12 and just how much craziness we've got with the top teams at all of college basketball with our friend Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN. That chat is up next right here on Coast to Coast with myself, David Pierce, and now a part of the Peace Family Podcast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp and over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much, so hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said, therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Coast. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. A 
I want to thank you lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig H. Pierce, and now a part of the Beeson family of podcasts. And it is great to be joined by our guest as this man does a terrific job over there at 710 ESPN in Seattle. He does some scoreboard work when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks, Seattle Mariners pre and post game work. Does a great job of being able to keep his finger on the pulse of college basketball as well. As we've got my man, Curtis Rogers, on the podcast, you're able to follow him on Twitter at a kid from Kent. That is all together. And Curtis, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Greg, great to be with you. We approach the Christmas break around college basketball time. I mean, not necessarily a break as there's still a lot of action going on, but uh, always, always a pleasure to join you on your podcast here, talk some college hoops, and just look at the landscape right now as we've got over a month's worth of action to dissect. Yes, we do. And when it comes to who's number one, it's just in my opinion, a very, very interesting debate because the last few years, it's been pretty cut and dry. Last year, Gonzaga was at clear number one. Baylor was at clear number two. And then everyone was fighting for number three. A few seasons ago when Zion Williamson was over there at Duke, Duke was number one, and we were wondering who the biggest challenger to them was going to be. This year, I feel like you could go in a wide variety of ways. Currently, Baylor is number one in the AP poll, but if you're looking at actual body of work, I'd probably give it to Arizona right now. I am really becoming sold on them. If you're looking for sheer talent, I still think that Gonzaga is there. Purdue is a team that I really like. Duke has been able to show up very well as well. Obviously, a team like Villanova may have fallen off the map quite a bit. Michigan, it has been a little bit of a rough go of it for them as well. But when it comes to who's number one in college basketball, heck, I'll throw in their UCLA. They've had themselves a very nice season as well. I feel like you could go in so many different ways, and it's – much more open than it's been in past years. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I look at this year's tournament field, pretty much every team in the top 10, maybe even the top 15, has a very real shot at potentially being a one seed come the end of the regular season, which that's a lot of teams to pick from. You mentioned Baylor right now being the number one team in the country. I mean, Scott Drew has been one of, if not the best college basketball coach in America over the last probably three seasons or so. And, you know, just seeing them be able to reload the way they have this season, even after losing so many great players like Davion Mitchell, they have really just absolutely shown that they are a force to be reckoned with and they're one of the better basketball powers in the game right now and you know James Akinjo coming over from Arizona he has been a really steadying force in that starting lineup I like what he's brought to the Baylor Bears but looking at this top 25 standings right now the best teams in the country I still am very high on Gonzaga, even though they've lost twice already in the non-conference slate of games. Mark Fee is going to have that team rolling through the West Coast Conference. They're going to be playing their best basketball. And I look at the narrative around Gonzaga every year. People are like, oh, these guys choke. These guys have never won anything big. Last I checked, they've played in two of the last four national championship games, which is very impressive (laughs) just for any school to do that, let alone... in the West Coast Conference, a conference that not necessarily has ever been considered among the best in the country. They've always been sort of in that next tier of conferences, but look at Gonzaga and what they're able to do night in and night out. They still have one of the most talented lineups in all of college basketball. You mentioned Arizona. They have gotten off to such a hot start here, 11-0. and They have one of their toughest, probably the toughest stretch of their schedule coming up here over the next couple of weeks. Now, It could get a little easier depending on the situation developing right now with UCLA as they have had to cancel a few games because of COVID. But as their schedule currently stands, they would have true road games all consecutively at Tennessee, 
who is, last I checked, they're number 19 in the AP Top 25. They've got at USC and at UCLA. All three of those teams very much ranked. USC also being one of the few undefeated teams left in the country. If Arizona survives that trio of games, I don't see how you could keep them out of the number one spot because that is just a gauntlet going into the new year that if they're able to weather those storms, boy, this Arizona team, we've already had to rewrite so much about them to this point in the season. But I think if they go through that undefeated, we're looking at a for sure lock number one seed, maybe even regardless of what they do in the Pac-12 slate of schedule, because if they go undefeated heading into the conference play, sky's the limit for this group. Yeah, if they wind up going undefeated through that three-game stretch that you wind up throwing out there, I don't think that you can deny this team the number one overall spot, even though Baylor is the reigning champions, and Baylor has looked very solid as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me on the podcast saying, when it came to that Baylor versus Oregon game, I thought it was intriguing because now Oregon is going to be taking on Pepperdine on Tuesday. I actually liked what I saw out of Oregon. And for Baylor, I feel like they're a solid team. But when it comes to Baylor, the one thing that I think could wind up biting this team moving forward is their free throw shooting because they had so many opportunities to really put the nail in the coffin of Oregon. Oregon just continued to linger and linger and linger when Baylor had that second half run because they couldn't make any free throws. And I think that's something that is a holdup when it comes to this Baylor team for one. And for two, I do think that Oregon is starting to turn the corner a little bit. And I do think that they're going to be much more competitive when it comes to conference play. Yeah, I mean, that is always going to be a very interesting thing to watch, especially when it comes to close games. That is how games are often won and lost in March is on the free throw line. You know, you've got the ability to put games away if you make your free throws, but look, that could very easily come back to bite them in that Oregon game where they only won by eight points against a Ducks team that is struggling right now, for sure. Oregon had the time they looked like the better team for about the first 30 minutes or so of the game. Then Baylor was like, oh yeah, that's right, we're the number one team in the country, we're the defending national champions, let's go show them what we're made of here. That really was the deciding factor in the game but uh, I mean I look at Baylor right now and in that game you know they just were not very efficient from the free throw line they shot what 44 percent from the line that night just not an acceptable number especially if you know you're the number one team in the country and we've seen you know time and time again those kinds of numbers come back to bite teams the most famous example being the Memphis Tigers back when Derrick Rose was playing with them you know that whole year they were shooting I think only like 60 percent from the line but yet they were still blowing out teams in Conference USA they were like oh this will never come back to bite us and then in the national championship game sure enough it did giving Kansas just that small of a window to get back in the game we all know how that went Mario Chalmers hits the game tying three they went in overtime free throws are obviously something that you have to key in on if you're going to make it deep into March and and Baylor right now struggling from that area but they just have so much talent they're so well coached on on both ends of the floor that right now they can kind of get away with it and you know entering into Big 12 play I think you know things are going to get a lot tighter they you know haven't really had many opportunities to play quality opponents. I mean, Villanova is obviously their best team right now in terms of ranking that they've played, but they destroyed them by 21. They have a tough game on New Year's Day at Iowa State. They get lucky in that they don't face Kansas until February 5th, so they're going to have a uh, quite a ways to go before they face the Jayhawks. They've also got a really tough one January 29th at Alabama, so they've got a favorable schedule here 
I don't see them having an issue with their free throws for quite a while, though that Iowa State game New Year's Day, that could very well be the Baylor Bears' first loss of the season. You know, that environment's going to be nuts and aims. Hopefully that game gets played. I would love to see that one get played, as we know, with COVID being what it is right now. Everything's back into question, but for us, you know, college basketball heads, fingers crossed for January 1st that that Baylor-Iowa State game gets in. Oh, I'm right there with you. Iowa State has been highly impressive to me as well. They have been one of the bigger surprises in all of college basketball. So we do have Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN joining me on the podcast. And obviously, we just mentioned two big surprises in college basketball. Arizona has been a big one. Iowa State has been another one. What are a few other teams to you that really stood out as big-time surprises? Because I think that we can go off the top with those two. How shockingly bad Omaha is getting outscored 42-13 to <laughs> against a team that was at the D3 level last year. I think we can all agree. Omaha, we thought was going to be bad. I didn't think it was going to quite be this, along with Ui Pui, good old IUPUI, putting a PU <laughs> and IUPUI. I mean, has been shockingly bad as well. But what has really stood out to you for both the good and or the bad, like I just mentioned? Well, if we're looking at, at bad surprises, I think that one might be a little bit easier with Villanova slipping up the way they have early on in the season. Now, they had a very tough non-conference slate, but in all of their big matchups, they've fallen. I believe they've lost four times already this season, which, I mean, boy, 7-4 and four right now. Not exactly where you want to be if you're a team that many people were considering to be a national championship contender right now. You know, they've got their own issues trying to figure that out. The Big East is going to be competitive this year. We've seen Seton Hall play really, really well at times this year. Xavier, they're competitive. Providence, they're also back in the top 25. So Villanova is going to have opportunities to get back a lot of these games that they dropped in the non-conference. To me, though, seeing them with four losses already at this point of the season when they were you know, one of the top teams in the country heading into the year, I mean, you look at their losses, UCLA, Purdue, Baylor... None of those teams are bad losses by any stretch of the imagination, but I think when you're a team like Villanova, when you have a certain set of expectations heading into the year, you would expect for them to win at least one of those games. That did not happen. In fact, they weren't even competitive in that Baylor loss. Another surprising team, you know, on the bad end of things, we talked about them a little bit in their matchup with Baylor, and that would be Oregon. 6-6 six and six to start the year. No one saw that coming. I don't think anybody did, but as we all know, and we've talked about this a lot here on the podcast, especially as Oregon was in the throes of this really bad stretch of their non-conference. You know, they're a team that peaks later on in the season, but I think if you're a Ducks fan, you kind of hope that you can kind of get by these, you know, early season struggles, that these would be a thing of the past. But unfortunately, we've seen them flare their ugly head over the last couple of years to where the Ducks coming into the Pac-12 tournament have kind of had to play for their lives. Whereas right now, they're kind of going to be in that same situation. I look at the Pac-12 right now, I only see three automatic bids, and those are the three teams at the very top of the conference, USC, UCLA, and Arizona. I think if anybody else is going to get into the tournament, they're going to have to make a lot of noise in the Pac-12 tournament. I know Washington State, that was another team that we kind of talked about as a potential dark horse getting into the NCAA tournament. They continue to lose very winnable games, and their non-conference slate was not one where they had much wiggle room to begin with. That was a, a team that absolutely had to run the table in the non-conference if they were going to assure themselves of an NCAA tournament spot. That hasn't happened. Quite frankly, I don't see them really rebounding a whole lot well 
in conference play once the Pac-12 gets going. So, uh, you know, maybe it's fair to say there is a little bit of a disappointment with what Ky- or with the Cougs right now and, and with what Kyle Smith, his team, has been unable to do this season. You know, as we know, there's still plenty of time to fight that ship, but you build your resume in the non-conference. That is how you impress the selection committee, is by stacking wins in the non-conference and then taking care of business in your own conference. And right now, Washington State, they have not done that And when they had really no wiggle room left, and it could cost them come Selection Sunday. Yep, I am right there with you. It certainly has been a little bit of a rough go of it for Washington State. They played a bunch of good mid-majors, and sometimes the downfall of that is if you wind up losing some of those games like Washington State has, it winds up really hurting you in the long run as we do have Curtis Rogers joining me on the podcast and I'm glad that you brought up the Pac-12 because we've got a lot of teams from the Pac-12 that are going to be in action on Tuesday and I don't know about you but I think that Nichols might be able to pull this one off against Oregon State a team that has won (laughs) one game this year they have lost on their home floor to Samford already UC Davis a UC Davis team that lost to the Academy of the Arts so I guess the Academy of the Arts should be trying to schedule a trip to Carvallis to be able to play them as well. But when you take a look at just the slate that we've got a Pac-12 games for Tuesday, I actually do think that that Nichols versus Oregon State game is the most intriguing. And then also Utah Valley versus Washington. I could see a situation in which Washington winds up losing that one too. Oh, I could very easily see Washington losing that one. They're only four and a half point favorite, what I'm seeing right now. I think they're just back from their COVID break. They had their first game back. It was against Seattle U on Sunday, and that was a close one. The Redhawks had the lead for a good portion of the first half in that game, but then Terrell Brown Jr. really led the charge for the Huskies in the second half. They were able to pull away, but this is a Husky team that is capable of losing to anybody at any given time. And Utah Valley, they're no easy out right now. They're 8-3 and three on the season. I think they could very easily uh, pick up that win in Seattle against Washington. Bring up Nichols, go and do Corvallis. We've talked about it too before, that Wayne Tinkle extension. Beavers were almost four to do that you don't have an elite eight run and not reward the coach for that especially at a school that hasn't had a ton of recent success like Oregon State has but man that extension looking pretty rough right now after they've dropped 10 in a row after winning their first game of the season the Beavs I mean man I could see Nichols very easily winning that one but another intriguing one in the Pac-12 is going to be that game between Kansas and Colorado in Boulder Kansas is I think a nine and a half point favorite right now as we know playing games against those mountain schools whether it be Colorado Utah BYU Utah State Colorado State that elevation is not easy to contend with and and it's an elevation that Kansas is not going to have on their schedule the rest of the year I do commend the Jayhawks for scheduling a true road game it seems like that's out of the ordinary for them just off the top of my head and look you could not pick an environment that might be as tough as it is in Colorado on that Kansas ball club there I would imagine the Coors Event Center is going to be pretty rocking for that game you know I've seen that arena get loud just for the casual Pac-12 game so having a team like Kansas coming into Boulder right there I mean I think the Buffaloes could give them a very good run for their money I would imagine that one's going to be a very very hot ticket in Boulder. Yep, I am right there with you with Colorado, though. The big thing is, can they get the offense going? 65 points or fewer in six out of their last eight games overall. Meanwhile, Kansas has played just one game to the under this year. This Kansas team has not been what we expected on defense, more than what we expected on offense. So it should be a fun one. And 
What is always fun is getting you on the podcast, Curtis. You do a terrific job over there with 710 ESPN. Cover a little bit of everything. College basketball, the NFL, NBA, MLB. Now there's hockey out there with the Seattle Kraken as well. So love the good people at home. Know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general, including the Seattle Sports Night and Seattle Sports Saturday podcasts. Yeah, you can download those podcasts wherever it is you get your podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And like you said, we have just got a little bit of everything going on right now. Dealing with a few COVID shutdowns between the Kraken and the Seahawks got postponed this week as well. They're playing on Tuesday night, so just kind of balancing that out especially with you know the christmas break thrown in there too so a little bit for everybody going on right now but as it is always on this podcast we're always talking college basketball be it the huskies the cougs or the zags and boy it is shaping up to be another special season for gonzaga even after their two out of conference losses i think they're going to be in in really good shape come March and look forward to talking their run with you, Greg, and and also the rest of the Pac-12, the rest of West Coast Hoops. I'm right there with you. I think that it's going to be an absolutely tremendous year moving forward in college basketball like we were talking about at the top. Who is number one? Perhaps it winds up crystallizing a little bit more in the next few weeks. Perhaps it just gets even more harebrained, but that's the fun of it. And Curtis, it is always fun to be able to get him on the podcast as well. So big thanks to Curtis for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups. Now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying Cal's a bust. He can't coach. 
This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to my my channel. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back here in Love You Las Vegas for Ghost Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And it is always great to be able to have Curtis Rogers on the podcast. He does excellent work. Over there with Sub-10 ESPN in Seattle. Does a great job holding it down, doing a wide variety of things there. And now it's time to do a wide variety of things with the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday. As I give you a sign total on every game on the board for today as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. We're going to be going with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits will be coming on the bottom. And the reason why we go in the Las Vegas rotation order is because if you wind up coming to Las Vegas, this is actually how you wind up placing a bet. You don't wind up actually reading off teams. You actually wind up reading off rotation numbers. Like, let's say you want to bet on North Texas. Instead of saying you want North Texas laying five and a half points, you would say, I want rotation number 613 on the spread. So that's why I do it that way. And it is in relative time order, but the lesser games, teams involving teams from like the SWAC, MEAC, Southland, list goes on and on. They go at the bottom and those games have six digits on them. So we start with 601, 602 on the betting board. You've got Southern Miss hitting the road to face off against East Carolina. East Carolina has found themselves in between a 12 and a half and a 13 point favorite. And your total on this game, it is between 134 and 134 and a half. I wound up saying this total at 129 because you take a look at Southern Miss. They are one of the slower teams in all of college basketball and just a team that in general hasn't necessarily been able to find their footing this year. And then you take a look at the flip side for the East Carolina bunch. They have been pushing the tempo a little bit more and they've been able to get a little bit more three-point shooting than we've seen in the past. Tristan Newton has been able to do a good job of being able to give this team double figures just below 20 points per game for him. Vance Jackson is someone that is 6'9", has had a little bit of an up-and-down season with regards to three-point shooting, but has been able to do a solid job for this team. Now, you do have Isaiah Moore on the other side, and he's been able to do a solid job since coming over from St. John's. Right around seven rebounds per game, a double-figure score, and then he is paired up with Tyler Stevenson. Stevenson has been able to give the team right around 12 points, eight rebounds, but the team has been dealing with an injury to their top scorer, Tay Hardy, as well. Hardy was given the team over 15 points per game, and you've got a Southern Miss team that, in general, shoots in the low 30s from three-point range, so that is certainly an issue for this Southern Miss team. Meanwhile, you take a look at Eastern Carolina, and they team that they've got some good three-point shooters. Someone like a J.J. Miles is able to give you eight to nine points per game, shooting over 40% from three-point range. So I do think that it is going to be a little bit of a slower game because keep in mind, this is a game that's going to be played at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. So you certainly have 
the sleepiness coming out. So I wound up saying this little 129 as a result. I'm going to be going under, but made East Carolina 15-point favor. This is a Southern Miss team that they really can't get out of their own way with right around 15 turnovers per game. So we're going to be taking the under, and I'm laying it here with East Carolina. 6-0-3, 6-0-4 on the banging board. UT San Antonio is going to be hitting the road face off against Illinois State. Illinois State is fighting themselves a 9.5 to a 10-point favorite in your turn on this game. Standing between 146.5 and 147. First of all, we've got to give our ode to Roadrunners here. Meep, meep, but we are going to be taking a look at those Roadrunners as I wound up saying Illinois State as a six-point favorite in this spot. When it comes to Illinois State, they do have Antonio Reeves doing a good job of being able to put the biscuit in the basket. He's been able to give the team right around 21 points per game. Some of that is shooting 47% from three for an Illinois State team that's actually in the top 10 with regards to possessions per game. They're shooting as a collective right around 38.5% from three-point range. My big fear is that Mark Freeman is going to hurt this team. He's given out 3.8 assists per game, but also 3.6 turnovers. He is shooting 40% from three, but last year shot more around 30% from three, so I do think that a little bit of regression is going to be coming in outside Chapman. He's been able to give this team 14.7 rebounds. He's been able to do a job down low. But then you take a look at this UTSA team and Duo Dieng has been able to do a terrific job as a 6'5 stretch player. 16.5 points, 6 boards, shooting only about 30% from 3-point range, but has been able to fill it up recently with at least 26 points in 3 of the team's last 5 games. Down low, Cedric Alley should be able to win the battle on the glass. He's been able to give the team 7.5 boards per game. You've even got Jacob Germany who's able to give the team right around 13.5 points, 5.5 rebounds. Jordan Curry Ivy is really the main shooter for a team that doesn't shoot it well. They shoot as a collective 28% from three, but he's able to pump him in there at a 39.5% clip. Shoots 87% at the free throw line, so I do like what he's able to bring to the table for this team. When I take a look at it, I do think that you're going to get a little bit more of an up-tempo game, but I lean a little bit more to the under because this is another earlier game. Noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, so what I'm saying this is at 146, so here at the 147 that I'm seeing, I'm going to be going under, and with Illinois State, some of them has a six-point favorite, so gladly willing to take nine plus here with UTSA. 605, 606, on the betting board. Sam Amford is going to be in the road face off against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a 14 point favorite and your talents game is anywhere between 137 and 137 and a half. When it comes to Samford, you've got a team that has really been looking to push a tempo. Bucky McMillan was a coaching legend at the high school ranks in the state of Alabama and he has brought his up-tempo style to college and right now it's working and the big reason why it is working is because Quez Glover has just been the glove for this team. You got him being able to chip in there 19 points, 4.5 assists, shooting 36% from three-point range. So this guy's been absolutely obscene, giving the team 22-plus points in four of the team's last five games. Now, on the flip side for Ole Miss, you do have Jarkel Dreiner being able to give the team 15 points, three assists, steal and a half per game, shooting 35% from three, right around 85% the free throw line. But Ole Miss has a collective. They only shoot about 31% from three. So guys on name Joiner, they're shooting about 30% from three. Now, you've been able to have Jamin Brakefield be able to shoot about 42% from three. He's been able to give the team eight and a half points, right around 4.2 rebounds per game. So he's been relatively solid for this team, but we have seen him taper off a little bit with his production, 10 points of fear in each of the team's last five games, but you do also have nice here. Brooks down low, he certainly is going to be able to win the battle down low, a guy that's able to give you seven plus rebounds per game, chipping in there right around 10 points, and what you do have for Sanford is, even though you don't necessarily have a ton of size, you do have a guy in Jacob Tryon who stands six foot eleven. He's been able to shoot threes as a little bit over a 40% clip each of the last two seasons, so he's been able to do a nice job there, and then you're able to get a little bit 
bit down low for this team as well. They're probably not going to be able to match up with Brooks, but Jeremy Marshall has been able to give the team 12.5 points, 9.2 rebounds per game. So I think that that's going to keep Sanford live in this game. Set the spread at 12.5. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Sanford. And Sanford has really been pushing the tempo. They're in the top 30 in all of college basketball with regards to possessions per game. Ole Miss has been relatively successful at being able to slow games down themselves. They shoot right around 72.5% the free throw line. So it's a spot in which I want to make in this total. 144.5. So going to be going over and I'm going to be taking the points with Sanford. 607, 608 on the begging board. LaSalle is going to be playing us at Drexel. Drexel is between a pick-em to a one-point underdog. You're this game. And we're between 140.5 and 141.5. I want to make in Drexel the favorite in this game. I just think that they're better than LaSalle in the spot. I actually made them a two-point favorite. The big reason why, you've got James Butler who's going to be able to own the paint in this game. James Butler, a guy that two seasons ago wound up averaging a double-double and it looks like he's going to be able to do that once again. 14.5 points, 10.3 rebounds per game. A guy that's able to give you right around 55% three-point shooting right now, obviously. A little bit of a smaller sample size, but he has been able to give the team at least 11 rebounds in each of their last four games. And he's going up against a LaSalle team that you do have Christian Ray being able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game, but at six foot six, he's a little bit undersized, so that's a little bit of an issue, and he's only been able to give the team right around six points per contest. Now, Anwar Gill has been intriguing. He's been able to give the team six points, four boards, four assists, so he's a little bit of a mixer and a shaker for this team. His three-point shooting has went down, but he's also been able to chip in their 1.7 steals per game. You've got a LaSalle team that, in general, they're shooting about 34% from three, but 68% the free throw line. Josh Nickelberry, the transfer from Louisville, has been able to give the team 13 points per game. He's been relatively solid. And then you take a look down low. You do have Jack Clark being able to give you nine points, five rebounds per game. So that is going to be very helpful for this team. Sharif Kenny is someone that has been able to give the team right in the pocket of about nine points per game. But you take a look at him recently. Five points or fewer in each of the team's last three. So he seems to be having a little bit of a fall off. And then you've got winter time when it comes to Drexel. That'd be Cameron Winter. 14 points, five boards, four assists. Not a great three-point shooter as Drexel shoots about 32% as collective, but they make 73% of the free throws. They turn the ball over 11.7 times per game, so I do think that Trexel is going to be able to control this game, and I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following, but I think that this is going to be a little bit more of a slow and controlled game, so set this total at 140. Going to be looking under on this 141 to 141 and a half, and set Trexel as a two-point favorite, so taking them as a pick em or a money line underdog. 609, 610 on the bang board. Cal State Bakersfield is going to be playing us at Dartmouth. Dartmouth is between a four and four and a half point underdog with your total on this game of 122. I wound up saying this total at 117 and a half. We have been seeing some teams that have really been slowing down their play this year, and he's up in two of them. You take a look at this Bakersfield team, and gotta give another ode to Roadrunners here. Meep, meep. And they certainly have been more like road walkers because they don't have a single guy. It's right now give the team double figures. They should as collective 30% from three, 64% the free throw line, 14 turnovers per game. Now they do generate eight seals per game, but they along Dartmouth, both in the bottom 100 with regards to possessions per game. Dartmouth is a team that it's really three point shot or nothing. They are in the top 15 in all of college basketball in which has the highest percentage of their points that winds up coming from made threes. Now, they only turn the ball over 11 times per game. They do shoot 36% for three, 77% the free throw line. Problem is, they never get to the free throw line. They generate right around six half turnovers per game via steals. So, you do have some solidness there. Torres Samuels, along with Brandon Berry, are able to give you a combined 25 points per game. Both of these guys combined to shoot about 40% for three. Aaron Ray, 12.5 points, right around 7.5 boards per him. So, he's been able to do a nice job there. And I do like what you're able to get out of Cram 
Kisoyak as well. He wanted coming off the bench against Cal. He wound up having 20 points after he had a combined eight in the team's last four. I think that they're going to be utilizing him a little bit more. A six foot nine combo player that is able to pop three. So it is a spot in which I think that's going to be very intriguing. But Dartmouth is a team that is very bad on the glass. You've got a Cal State Bakersfield team that even though they've only got one guy giving you more than five rebounds per game in Jordan Elder Davis, he's able to give the team nine and a half points, five boards per game. They actually do a good job of rebounding by committee and I do think that the hole is greater than the sum of its parts in this game, especially with being able to get back a few guys that wound up missing a few games this year, like it, Antavy and Colm and company. So I take a look at this spot and wound up making Bakersfield a four and a half point favorite. So I'm willing to lay the four and pretty much nothing more in this game. And said this all at 117 and a half. 122 is low, but I think that this is going to be a very slow and grimy game. So diving under and laying the points. 6-11, 6-12 on the betting board is a cancel game between Cleveland State and Kent State. So we move on to 6-13, 6-14 on the betting board. North Texas is going to be playing against Tulsa. And if this sounds like an insert, it is because they're not going to be playing one another. This game is canceled. We move on. 6-15, 6-16 on the betting board. This Citadel is going to be playing against Manhattan. No overnight numbers on this game because the Citadel wound up playing yesterday. And I believe that Manhattan wound up playing yesterday as well. But with that said, I've got a handicap on this game. I wound up making the Citadel a six-point favorite. I wound up setting the Citadel at 148. I did wind up knocking off a point or two on the Citadel just because I do think that it is going to be a case in which you wind up seeing these teams a tad bit more tired because they did wind up playing yesterday. And this is a true home game for the Citadel as it's part of the Citadel Invitational. But I do take a look at this Manhattan bunch. And I've been impressed by the way that this team has been able to shape up with regards to free throw shooting percentage. This has been one of the worst teams in all college basketball. With that regard, the last few years, but they've been able to shoot about 71.5% from the free throw line, 32% from three. Now, they turn the ball over a little bit over 15 times per game, but they also do generate near 10 steals per game. Then you take a look at the Citadel, and it's a team that has actually seen a little bit of a downshift with regards to the way that they're playing, which I find to be very surprising. Now, you do have, in my opinion, the best player out there on the floor. That'd be Aiden Brown. Brown has been able to give this team 19.5 points, right around 8 rebounds, 3.5 assists. He's been able to pump him in there from about 34% from three-point range. Overall, the Citadel, 36.5% from three-point range, but they also shoot 63.5% the free throw line. They only turn the ball over 12 times per game, but they force five steals per game while still playing at a relatively up-tempo pace. And then for Manhattan, Jose Perez has been able to do a great job of being able to give the team 12.5 points, right around six assists per game. So, does a good job of being able to dish out the ball. Not necessarily a guy that's going to stroke it from three-point range, but you've got other guys like an Elijah Buchanan who do a good job with their versatility. Buchanan has been able to give the team eight points, five rebounds, shooting 78% at the free throw line, and then you've got Ant Nelson, who has had the ball taken out of his hands a little bit more, and that's a good thing, because he was one of the worst players with regards to turnovers per game last season, 10.5 points on 43% three-point shooting, so I take a look at the spot, wound up setting the Citadel as a six-point favorite, and I did wind up setting the total at 148, so that's my handicap there. We will see what we wind up getting in the AM with regards to this. 617, 618, Colorado State and Alabama has been canceled. 619, 620, UT Martin and Ohio State canceled. We move on. 621, 622 on the begging board. IPFW is going to be playing against Michigan. Michigan is finding themselves between a 22 and a half and a 24 point favorite. And your talent's game is anywhere between 140 and 141. When it comes to Michigan, I can only make them a 21 point favorite. So, going to be taking a look at the points with Fort Wayne. When it comes to Michigan, this team has a bunch of talent. It just feels like they're sort of misfit parts at this point. You do have Hunter Dickinson, who's certainly going to be able to dominate down low. 15 and a half points, 9 boards, 2 assists, shooting actually 33% from 3-point range, and has been able to give the team at least 15 points and 10 boards in each of the team's last 4 games. So, he has certainly been on point with his production. But then you take a look at this Fort Wayne team, and I do like what you're able to get out of Jared Godfrey. Godfrey has been able to give you 17 points, 4 boards, shooting about 33% from 3. Now, Fort Wayne lines here 
was in the top 20 in all of college basketball with regards to three-point shooting percentage this year. They've been shooting more in the pocket of about 33.5% from three-point range, but they do knock down 78% of the free throws. They turn the ball over 14 times per game, but Michigan, they have similar turnover woes. Are a Kapadia, I think it's going to be able to provide a speed bump down low. Not necessarily be able to win the battle or anything like that, but 11 points, 7 boards, he's able to give you right around a steal per game, so he's relatively solid there. And then I do like what you're able to get out of Jalen Pickens along with Deontay Billups as well. These two guys have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 24 points per game. You've got Billups shooting 44% from three-point range as well. Damian Chung-Q has been able to give the same three assists as well. So you've got some good flow when it comes to Fort Wayne. I do think that they are going to be able to knock in there a couple threes against a Michigan defense that has been a little bit lax when it comes guarding the three-point arc, so I did wind up making this more around a 21-point spread, so willing to take 22-plus with Fort Wayne. Set this all at 142.5 as well, so we're going to be looking at an over. 623, 624 on the betting board. Villanova is going to be playing us as Xavier. The X-Men find themselves a five-point underdog in your tallest game is anywhere between 137.5 and 138 when it comes to Villanova. Did wind up setting them as a six-point favorite, so I'm willing to lay the five here with Villanova. Certainly has been concerning to see their last few performances, but I do think that Jay Wright is going to be able to get things online when it comes to this team. You've got a Xavier bunch. They themselves, I just still have some question marks when it comes to them. I feel like they've been a little bit overrated. Jack Nungi has been able to do a nice job with 13 points, 8 boards, and I would say he's actually been the best little post player for this team. I think that Zach Fremantle is going to be able to retake that mantle, but you can tell that he's being eased back in there a little bit. 9 points, 5 rebounds. He's starting to look a little bit more like himself, and for Xavier, this is a bunch that they shoot about 34.5% from 3-point range. Headline by Nate Johnson, shooting 47.5% from distance, 13.5 points per game, so he's be able to do a nice job there. You've had Kobe Jones be able to give you 12.5 points, 8.5 boards, 3 assists per game, so he has been able to do a good job with his versatility, but you take a look at some of the guys coming off the bench. Adam Kunkel has been able to emerge a little bit to Juan Odom, though. I have my question marks with him. And then you take a look at Villanova. It's not a deep rotation, but it's a good one. Colin Gillespie has been able to have an assist-to-turnover ratio that is hovering right around 2.5 this season, shooting 40% from 3. Villanova's a collective, despite the fact that they've been cold the last few games. They're shooting 36% from 3, 77.5% the free throw line. They turn the ball over a few Fewer than nine times per game. That is one of the best marks in all of college basketball. You do have Justin Moore, who's able to give you 15 points, five boards, two and a half assists per game. And then Brandon Slater has been able to pump in there right around 11 points per game along Jermaine Samuel. So both of these guys have been solid. You are going to need to get a little bit more rebounding. And I think that Eric Dixon with his eight points and six boards per game is going to be able to provide that. So I did wind up making Villanova a six-point favorite. Villanova has clearly been playing some lower tempo games. You've been having a lot of games in general that have just seen some cold shooting in general. I think the Villanova is going to be able to get their very slow tempo in this game. So, said this total 135. I'm diving under, and I'm going to be laying the five here with Villanova. 625, 626 on the betting board. North Carolina is going to be playing on to Appalachian State. App State signed themselves in between a 14 to a 14 and a half point underdog. And your total on this game, you're going to be getting in anywhere between a 139 and a half and a 140. I made this line 14, so getting 14 and oak, I'm going to be taking a look at Appalachian State with North Carolina. I certainly do have my question marks when it comes to the scene because they just seem a little bit rudderless. When they wind up playing defense, they're unable to play offense. When they wind up playing offense, they're unable to play defense. I mean, it's the circle of life with this team. And then you take a look at Appalachia's eight. I do like what you're able to get out of Adrian Delft. He's able to give the team 15 points, five boards, someone that from three-point range is shooting a little bit over 40% from three has been a little bit hit or miss recently, 12 points or fewer in four of the team's last five games. I think that he's going to be able to have a good game in this one. James Lewis is going to be probably dominated down low. 5.8 points, 5.7 rebounds per game. You have to go up against Armando Baycott. He's able to give the team 15 points 
points, 10 boards, a block and a half per game. So he's been rock solid with that aspect. And North Carolina, still a very good three-point shooting team. They're making as a collective 38.9% their threes, 75% their free throws. They don't turn the ball over a whole lot of fly with Caleb Love and RJ Davis being able to headline this with 28.3 points per game. They both give out between 3.5 and 3.6 assists per game. They combine for about two and a half steals per game. So they've been able to do a good job there. Right by just a big key for this team being able to get Justin Forrest online. He wound up having a similar slow start last year, but then was able to pick it up. So I had 16 plus points into the team's last three games. Perhaps that is going to be able to get the engine going from you've got an Appalachian State team that they shoot just 64% the free throw line, but their 10 turnovers per game, one of the best marks in all of college basketball. So I did wind up saying them as a 14-point underdog, willing to take 14 and a half with them. So that's total of 150 as well. You've got a North Carolina team that I think is going to be giving up the arc quite a bit in Appalachian State's defense has been showing some holes as well. So going over and I'm going to be taking the points with App State. 627-628 on the banging board. Chicago State is going to be in the road face off against Iowa State. The Cyclones find themselves in between a 27.5 and a 28.5 point favorite and your total on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 126.5 and 127. I did wind up making this total 130 because I do think that Chicago State is going to get quite bludgeoned on the defensive end. This is a bunch of which I feel like their defensive numbers are propped up a little bit by the fact that they have played, let's call what it is, some less than seller competition most notably IUPUI putting the PU in IUPUI, but with Iowa State, did wind up making them a 30-point favorite because Isaiah Brockington, I think, is going to be the best player out there on the floor. 16.5 points, 8 rebounds. He's been able to shoot 42.5% from 3-point range, so he's been able to do a seller job there. He's been able to give the team at least 17 points in 3 of the team's last 5 games. He's been able to haul in there at least 7 boards in each of the team's last 5. Chicago State just doesn't have that down. Look, Korean Russian has been able to give you 7 rebounds per game, so that has been helpful, but you've been missing a couple key pieces for the team. Bryce Johnson, a guy that has been able to average 9 points per game. He has been missing through the entirety of the month of December. Kendrick Green, he has been missing really ever since their game against Loyal of Maryland to open up December. This is someone that was able to give the team right around 6 points per game as well, so it's a little bit of a thin rotation right now. Brandon Benson has been able to shoot 38% from 3, along with Jayshon Corbett. These two guys are able to combine to be able to give you right around 27.5 points per game. Corbett right around 7 rebounds per game. You don't have a lot of facilitation, though. 17 turnovers per game. That's an issue against an Iowa State team that, with regards to seals on a per-possession basis, is one of the best teams in all of college basketball with Tyrese Hunter being able to give you 10.5 points, 3.5 rebounds, 5.3 assists, and 2.2 steals per game. Gabe Kelcher, 11.5 points per game, has been struggling from three-point range, but I would say as a collective, they do shoot 36% from three-point range, so I think that they're going to be fine in that aspect, and I do think that this is a Chicago State team that is much improved, but I feel like Iowa State is still being a little bit disrespected by bookmakers at the total of 130, so I'm going to be going over and willing to lay up to 30 with Iowa State still laying the points. 629, 630 on the betting board. You've got yourself 10 Tennessee Tech, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against Cincinnati. We are on to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is on to being a 17 to 17 and a half point favorite in your Toronto's game. Is anywhere between 132 and a half and 133 and a half. Cincinnati is overall a solid team. I don't see what should make them this big of a favorite, though, when it comes to Cincinnati. I do have a few question marks when it comes to this team, most notably. Where are you going to be able to get the scoring from to be able to cover this sort of a number? When you take a look at Cincinnati, this is a team that overall is shooting 29.7% for three, 66.5% the free throw line. Wes Miller's heck of a coach, but they're generating six and a half turnovers per game as well. Now, the good news is they don't turn it over themselves. You got a guy, Mike Sanders, who's been able to give the team nine points, three boards, and three assists per game while shooting 43% from three point range. And then you've got Jeremiah Davenport being able to pump in their 12 and a half points. 
per game, shooting 37% from three-point range, so he's been able to do a relatively good job there, but you don't necessarily have a lot of rebounding either. Victor Lehen has been able to give the team six and a half points, 5.2 rebounds per game, and really that's your main form of rebounding right now. You do have someone like a Hayden Koval who's able to give you a block or two per game, but they haven't necessarily utilized for guys. Tennessee Tech is a team that's going to get bludgeoned on the glass, but Mamadou DeWaria, well, ironically enough, a former Cincinnati gentleman has been able to give his team right around five boards per game. Keyshawn Davidson, Junior Clay, these two guys are combining for 24 points, right around seven assists per game. Davidson shooting 48% from three-point range at 100% the free throw line, big for a team that they are only shooting about 66.5% as a collective from the charity stripe. You are going to need to get a little bit more out of someone like a Daniel Ramsey to be able to give the team six and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game comes in after being just a complete and utter afterthought at Xavier. But you take a look at him recently, he's been able to give the team at least seven points in three of the team's last four games. So I do think that this is a Cincinnati team that just this is not going to be able to score enough to be able to cover this number. I wound up setting the total at 133 personally. So you're at 133 I'm going to be diving under at 133 as well. I'd be willing to take an under before I'd be willing to take an over just because I don't think that you wind up getting late game following in this spot. And when it comes to Cincinnati, set them as a 13 and a half point favorite. So willing to take 17 here when it comes to Tech. 631, 632 on the bang board. Toledo is going to be playing us on Marshall. Marshall is a four to four and a half point underdog. Seeing a straight three and a half out there as well. Your total on this game is 159 and a half to one. 60. I want to say Toledo as a three and a half point favorite. So here at four plus, I'm willing to take the points with Marshall. Not necessarily willing to go money line, but I do think that this is a game that is going to be very close throughout and it's going to be decided by like one or two possessions. When you take a look at this Marshall team, they have not been able to hit water if they fell out of a boat from three point range, but this is always a team that they do a relatively solid job of being able to force quite a few turnovers. So I do think that that's going to be able to keep them live in this game. And then you've got Obiana Onchili Killian, who has been able to do a terrific job down low. About 13 and a half points, 7.2 rebounds, and 4.6 blocks per game. That is absolutely magnificent. I mean, this is a guy that could wind up going off for a triple-double at some point this year with blocks. Andrew Taylor has been a statue suffer. 13 points, 6 boards, 5.5 assists, shooting only about 27% from 3 after he shot 41% last season, but that is starting to come around for this Marshall team as well. You've also got Tavion Kinsey, 20 points, 5 boards, 4 assists. He's been able to do a terrific job for the team as well. Now, when it comes to Marshall, they are shooting just 29% from 3-point range as a collective, but they should shoot right Right around 71.5% at the free throw line. When it comes to Toledo, they shoot more like 75% at the free throw line, 33% from three-point range. I do like JT Shulmake along with Cedric Milner Jr. These two guys combined for about 30 points, 13.5 rebounds per game. So both of these guys are rock solid, especially when you wind up having both of them combined to shoot about 45% from three-point range. Ryan Rollins has been keeping things rolling in regards to the backcourt. 19.5 points, five boards, three and a half assists per game. And then Ray J. Dennis has been able to give out four assists with his 11.5 points per game. But this is not a team that necessarily has a lot of depth after your starting five for the team. You really don't have much else. Keyshawn Sanders missing quite a bit of time due to injury has been a little bit of an issue. He has come back for a few games, but he hasn't necessarily looked like himself, so that is a bit of an issue when it comes to Toledo, especially in a little bit more of an up-tempo game against Marshall, so it's a spot in which I think that Toledo winds up winning the game outright, but I can only set them as a three and a half point favorite, so I'm going to take the points with Marshall. I do think that Toledo is going to look to slow things down a little bit, and I think that they're going to have some mild success with it. Set this total at 153 and a half, so diving under and taking the points. 633, 634 on the banking board. Eastern Illinois is going to be hitting the road to face off against Ball State. Ball State find themselves a 12-point favorite. And, and your total on this game is a 140 and a half when it comes to what you're able to get out of this Ball State team. It's a team that I think is relatively solid. And then for Eastern Illinois, it has been one of the worst offensive teams in all of college basketball. They got pretty lucky to be able to cover against Western Illinois a couple days ago. But 
When you take a look at Eastern Illinois, the big thing for the team is that they have been all sorts of banged up this year while having a whole bunch of guys wind up transferring out of the program. Keyshawn Charles has been able to give you a little bit over 10 points per game. This is someone that is shooting about 37.5% from three-point range. Started out the year injured. He's been able to return, but recently scored single digits in each of the team's last three games, so he's starting to hit a little bit of a rut. You've got Sammy Friday, the fourth, who's been able to give the team seven points, four and a half rebounds per game, but when it comes to the team, right now you've got Kawan Clements, who is right now leading the way with cards rebounding, and he's a six foot two guard who's able to give you eight and a half points, right around five rebounds, does give a four and a half assists per game, but also 3.4 turnovers per game, and that's an issue for Eastern Illinois. They turn the ball over 17 times per game. They shoot 32% per three, 63.5% the free throw line, so they're not great there. And then you take a look at Ball State, and you've got Luke Bumbleu, who's been able to shoot 40% per three. He's been able to give the team 12.5 points per game. Now, Ball State, they shoot only about 66.5% the free throw line, but they do shoot 39% per three. Turnovers are a little bit tough for them, but Marion Thomas, six foot eight stretch player, has been able to give the team nine points, four and a half rebounds, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. And then you've got the Northern Illinois transfer in Tyler Cochran, who's been able to give you 11 points, five boards, this is not a team that's necessarily too deep, but Peyton Sparks should be able to win the battle down low with right around five and a half rebounds per game. So I do take a look at this game, and I think that Ball State should be able to win relatively easily, as I did wind up setting them as a 17 and a half point favorite. You got a Ball State team that ranks in the top 40 with regards to possessions per game. An Eastern Illinois team that they're not necessarily slow, they're just really stinking inefficient. So I set this out at 139 and a half. So you're at 140 and a half, despite the fact that Ball State has been the best over team in college basketball the last two years. I'm willing to go under, and I made Ball State a 17 and a half point favorite. So Laying the points. 635, 636 on the banging board. Buffalo is going to be playing against UC Irvine, the Anteaters, and we give our ode to our good friend Ian McMillan, the Anteaters' number one friend. Zot, zot, and for me, it's more like tier, tier, because this is a game that has been postponed, so we have to move on since there's no money to be made here as we go to 637, 638 on the banging board. Elon is going to be playing against Arkansas. Arkansas find themselves an 18.5 to a 19-point favorite in your talents game, and between 153.5 and 154 when it comes to this Arkansas bunch. It's been a team that has been, I would say, uneven. We were talking about this with Blake Lovell on the podcast yesterday. I just felt like they were a little bit overrated coming into the season, and thus far, they have been living up to that billing as it's a bunch that they have been able to get right around 18 and a half points out of J.D. Note, which has been relatively solid for this team. Overall, the three-point shooting, though, 30%. They shoot 72.5% the free throw line. They don't turn the ball over a whole lot of the line, and they do generate 8.5 seals per game with Note, being able to give you right around 2.8 of them per contest, but after that, you really don't have a ton of rebounding for this team. Jalen Williams has been captain Swiss Army Knight for this team. Seven points, eight and a half rebounds, three and a half assists at six foot ten. Is able to shoot threes. Only makes him at about a 27.5% clip, but certainly adds some versatility. Stanley Moody is able to give you right around nine points per game, so he's been able to step up for this team. Devontae Davis, he's been able to give you a little bit over 11 points per game, and he's been emerging recently. 16 plus points in four of the team's last five games, but then you do take a look at Elon, and you've got the Hunters. Hunter Woods and Hunter McIntosh. McIntosh has been able to give this team a little bit over 11 points per game, three assists. He's been able to shoot 35% from three-point range, and then Woods shoots 39% from three. Seven and a half points, five rebounds per game. This is on the Elon team that does a great job of rebounding. Zach Irvin is also able to give you four and a half points per game, and then you've got Michael Graham giving you seven points, right around six rebounds per game, but Elon does shoot 36.5% from three, 75.5% the free throw line. The 13.8 turnovers per game, it's not great, but at the same time, you can live with it, especially with Torrance Watson being able to give you a little bit over 11 points per game. So I do take a look at this spot, and I think that Arkansas is going to be continuing their struggles a little bit more. Elon is a team that has done a great job of being able to slow down their games thus far this season as well. That's what wound up giving them success towards back half of last season. They've been able to continue that in 
into this season. So I want to make Arkansas a 16-point favorite. So willing to take the points. Set the total at 150 as well with Elon being able to slow things down. So taking a look at an under as well. 639, 640 on the begging board. You've got Utah and they're going to be playing us a Fresno State. Fresno State has signed themselves a 2.5 to a 3-point underdog in Utah this game. You're going to be getting it anywhere between a 132 and a 132.5. This is a game which I want to make Utah a 6-point favorite. What they're pretty much saying is that Fresno State would be a favorite on a neutral court and I do think that Jermero Baker does wind up evening things out a little bit more but I do think that with Utah they are going to be able to get it done in a pretty unique home court and behind a guy that's able to do a great job of being able to help this team out with Braden Carlson at 7 feet tall giving you 14 points 6 boards popping about 30% 3 point shooting but has been able to give the team 12 plus points and now 4 of the team's last 5 games is willing to facilitate has given the team 2.2 blocks per game now with Fresno State Orlando Robinson is able to match up with him he's a 7 footer that's given his team 18 points 8 boards 3 assists he's able to shoot about 30% from 3 point range himself with a little bit over a block and a seal per game as well but Booth Gotch coupled with David Jenkins Jr. have been able to combine for just under 26 points per game they both shoot over 40% from 3 point range Utah shoots 80% the free throw line 33.5% from 3 point range and then you take a look at Fresno State and they shoot more like 74% from the free throw line 38.5% from 3 point range so they've been relatively rock solid there with Baker ever since he wanted getting back fully because he wanted playing in a couple games but it was just a straight couple games so you take a look at the last three and it went four points at his first time back but the last two a combined 30 points in 41 minutes so he is starting to become a little bit of a dominator for this team I say Hill's been able to give the team eight and a half points per game you've also been able to have someone in Jordan Campbell who's been able to do some good things out there in the backcourt with nine and a half points per game you take a look at Campbell in the three games that Baker's come back and he really hasn't seen a dip in production which you do like to see but with Utah I do think that they're going to be able to do a little bit of a better job down low Raleigh Worcester has been able to do a nice job of being able to dish out 3.7 assists to 1.4 turnovers per game as well both of these teams really don't turn the ball over a lot, but both of these teams are really, really slow and deliberate with their pace, so I did wind up saying this at 124. I'm going to be diving under. I think that Utah is going to be able to get the job done on their home floor. Made them a six-point favorite, so won't delay the points. 641, 642 on the banking board. IUPUI, putting the PU in IUPUI is going to be playing out some Morehead State. Morehead State is a 14-point road favorite at your total on this game. Is that anywhere between 120 and 122? I set this total at 116 and a half. Boy, I mean, you take a look at Morehead State. This is a team with about a middle-ish tempo, a little bit slower than most, but they're a team that they do look to play a tad bit slower. You've got G&I Broom, who's been able to do an absolutely terrific job down low. He is going to be by far the best player in this game. As you take a look at him being able to give the team a little bit over three blocks, 15 points, 10 boards per game. And then Tavon Cooper has been able to do a good job of being able to dish out the ball. Nine points, four boards, 6.6 assists per game. While IUPUI is are near the worst offensive team in all of college basketball. They're actually an above average defensive team and they play really, really slow, which makes covering 14 actually a little bit difficult. You've got one guy, BJ Maxwell, who's able to give you something. He's been able to give the team a little bit over 13 points, 5.2 rebounds per game. So he's been able to do a good job. He's been able to give the team at least 19 points and now two out of the team's last three games. So he has really been the main contributor for the team and a combined five seals in the last three games as well. You take a look at what you're able to get outside of them and it's not great. They should 63.5% from the free throw line, 28.5% for three, 17.8 turnovers per game. Now, to their credit, they have been able to get a little bit more recently out of a younger guy in Bakari Lestrap, who's been able to give you right around five points per game. You take a look at him, and he's been able to emerge a little bit recently, five plus points, and now four of the teams last six games, and it's really sad that we're calling that being able to give the team a little bit more. They could also use back out there Bobby Harvey, someone who has missed a little bit of time. He has scored a combined zero points in the team's last two games as he's been able 
off a little bit of an ailment. So I think that this is going to be a very slow, a very grimy game. But even though I don't think IUPUI is going to get to 60, and quite frankly, I don't know if they wind up getting to 50 in this spot. Morad State, they themselves leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. They're a team that they are turning the ball over right around 15 times per game. They shoot 63.5% at the free throw line of Scott Edler Potters. Being able to give you 11.5 points per game, shooting 37% from three. Trey Hollowell shooting more like 39.5% from three-point range with 11.5 points per game, but I think that this is going to be a grimy game, and I think that this number is just too big for Morad State to cover. I set them as a 12.5 point favorite, so we'll not take 14 here with Iwi Pui, IUPUI, and set this all to 116.5, so we're going to be diving under as we move on to game number 643, 644 on the bang board. NC State is going to be playing us a right state. Right state hopes to be the right side as a 10 point underdog in your total on this game. You're going to be getting it anywhere between 146 and 146.5. It's a game in which I want to make NC State an 11 point favorite. I have very much soured on this right state team. They really don't have a lot of depth, and you can tell that they're missing loud and love down low. Now, Tanner Holden has been holding it down. He's been able to get the team 19 points, 5.5 rebounds, right around 3 assists per game shooting 50% from three-point range, so he's been able to do his part at least 20 points in now three of the team's last five games, but then I take a look at Jaron Sebron, and he's going to be the best player in this game. 20 points, 10.6 rebounds, and he's shooting 11% from three-point range. you got to figure that that's going to tick up a little bit, but also giving out three assists per game, he has been absolutely tremendous for this team, also getting right around two steals per game. And then you take a look at the rest of NC State and Jericho Holmes has been able to give you 14.5 points per game. He's shooting 39% from three-point range overall. NC State only shoots 31% for three, but with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis, one of the most efficient teams in all of college basketball. Casey Marcel wanted missing a couple games. He is back at the fold in that game against Richmond. He was held to zero points, but I do think that he's going to be looking a little bit more sharp in this game as they've been easing him back off the bench. You've been able to get right around 12 to 12 and a half points per game out of both Cam Aves along to Quavian Smith. So these guys, I think, are going to be big cogs as well. You don't necessarily have a lot down low, but you've been able to get right around five rebounds per game out of Ebenezer, Duwana. And then when you take a look at this right state team, Grant Basile has been able to give you a little bit over nine boards, 17 and a half points per game at six foot nine. He's able to pop three. He's nice here. Shot 47% from three, 15% this season for a right state team as a collective. They shoot 27% from three, 78% the free throw line, but they are unable to hit their outside shots. They take quite a few outside shots. That is going to be a big giant bugaboo for them. So I want to make NC State an 11-point favorite. I'm willing to lay the points. Set this all at 153.5. I think that you're going to get a relatively solid tempo in this game. So taking the over, and I'm laying the points. 645, 646 on the banging board. Evansville and SMU is a cancel game. So we move on. It is 647, 648 on the betting board. Bradley and Sam Houston State are going to be doing battle from the Don Haskins Center as Sam Houston State finds themselves a three-point underdog in your Charles game. Going to be getting anywhere between a 133.5 and a 134.5. And when it comes to Bradley, I wound up setting them as a six-point underdog. I really do not know why bookmakers have been favoring Bradley so much. This is not a team that impresses me one bit. And you've got a Sam Houston State team that... I do think that there are a few redeeming qualities with this team. And the biggest one is Savion Flagg. Savion Flagg is going to be, in my opinion, by far the best player out there on the floor. Someone who does a great job being able to give you right around 18 points, 7 rebounds per game. Now, he can be very hit or miss when it comes to his three-point shooting. But by and large, you're able to take a look at him. And you know what you're going to be able to get out of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at Rennick Mass for Bradley. And he's been able to do a good job down low. He's been able to give this team 9 rebounds per game. Someone that lies here shot 36% for 3 is a 6'9 combo player. And it's not a 
15% this season as he has scored nine points or fewer in each of the team's last four games. Now, he's pulled in at least nine boards in every one of those games as well, so has to be able to do a good job on the glass, but you need a little bit more in the backcourt if that's going to wind up happening more and more, and that comes into play with Terry Roberts, who's been able to get the team 15 points per game, shooting 37% from three, but with Bradley, they shoot 64% free throw line, 32.5% from three, 14 and after an overs per game. Though this is a neutral court game, this is a Sam Houston State team that this is a relatively short drive for them. They live out there in the state of Texas. Bradley, meanwhile, they're going to come from the great state of Illinois, so that is something that does wind up factoring into this handicap a little bit as well. I did wind up awarding sort of like a half a home court here for Sam Houston State, but I do think that DeMarcus Lampley is going to be able to take over this game as well. 12.5 points, shooting 37% from three-point range, so I do like what you're able to get out of him as well. And then when you take a look a little bit more at this team, you've got one guy in Tristan Ikpe, who's been able to give you right around seven rebounds, six and a half points per game. I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job in this game as well. At least five boards in each other team's last four games, eight plus points as well. So I take a look at Sam Houston State. I think that they're going to be able to do just enough to be able to win this game. Now they themselves shoot 52.8% at the free throw line, but 34% from three. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They get right around eight and a half steals per game. You got two very poor free throw shooting teams. So I do think that it's going to be a little bit of a calamity on that front as well. So I did wind up saying this total at a 132. I think that if you do wind up getting like a felling, you're going to get a bunch of bricks, but I think the same Houston State winds up pulling it out. I wound up saying them as a relatively sizable favorite of more like six points, so taking them on the money line, and we're going to be taking this total under. 649, 650 on the banging board. You've got Oakland, and they're going to be playing against Michigan State from the Little Caesars Arena. Michigan State finds themselves a 10.5 to an 11-point favorite, and your Toronto's game is 141. This is more a neutral court game. Oakland is a team that they play at O Arena, actually, and Michigan State, as we know, they play at the Breslin Center, but when it comes down to it, I wound up saying Oakland as only a six-point underdog because I do think that Oakland is going to come out and they're going to be able to give some very good fight. This is pretty much your Super Bowl in this game, and you've got a Michigan State team that I do still have a couple question marks when it comes to backcourt. Tyson Walker has been able to lock it in with regards to the turnovers, which has been very good to see. You've got a Michigan State team, though, that still, they're committing 15 turnovers per game with Walker. He has only been able to give the team right around seven points per game now, shooting 64% from three. That's not sustainable. Michigan State, as a collective, they shoot 38.5% from three-point range, right around 72% at the free throw line, so they've been able to do a good job there. Michael Springham Jr. has been able to chip in their three blocks, 10.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game, and then you got Gabe Brown pumping in their 13 points, 4.7 rebounds per game, shooting a little bit over 41% from three-point range, so he has been able to do a nice job there. Max Hall coupled with Max Christie have both been able to give you a combined about 17 points per game, so you've been able to have some good production there, but then you take a look at Oakland, and Jamal Kane is able to keep this team alive. How about 21.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game for Oakland. You've got the leader in assists from college basketball last year, and Jalen Moore, he's given out 7 assists and 2 steals per game this season. Now, both he and Jamal Kane both shoot sub 30% from 3-point range as Oakland. They only shoot 26% from 3, but they shoot 77.5% at the free throw line. They're able to generate 8 steals per game. I do like what you be able to get. Uh, Trey Townsend along with Micah Parrish. Both of these guys give you right around 6.5 rebounds per game. They've been able to combine for 22 points per game. Zion Young has been dealing with a little bit of an ailment. He's a good sharpshooter for this team, so that has been a little bit of a damper for them, but he's been able to give this team 7.5 points per game. He's been a little bit healthier recently, so should be able to go in this game. So it's a spot in which I think that Michigan State should be able to win the game, but I think that it's going to be relatively close. Set this line at 6, so I'm willing to take the points. Set this total at a 145 as well, as I do think that you wind up getting late game following, so going over as well. 651, 652 on the banking board. You go to UBS Arena for Iona and Delaware. Delaware is finding themselves a five and a half point underdog in your total on this game. You're finding it at a 143. I wound up setting this as a five and a half point line as well. So here at the five and a half, 
I'd be willing to take the points before I'd be willing to lay the points, but I'm looking for this to be able to get to a six lightweight, be able to take Delaware a little bit easily, or five or lower to be able to take a look at Iona. So here at five and a half, it's a little bit more of a wait and see. If I really had to right now, I would be taking a look at taking the points with Delaware, because with Delaware, I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job down low with Dylan Pater. He's been able to give the team 14 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per game, wound up having a little bit of a rough start this season with regards to the rebounding aspect, but... 10 plus sports in each other team's last three games. And then you've got Nelly Jr. Joseph on the other side doing a great job for Iona. Right around 8.5 rebounds, 14.5 points per game. A guy that has been able to give the team double figures in four of the team's last five. And he has been able to give the team a combined seven blocks in the last two games as he is averaging for the season two blocks per contest. You take a look at Iona and Tyson Jolly has been very jolly for the team. Right around 14.5 points per game. Iona as a collective, they are shooting from three-point range. About 33% from three. Jolly more around 39%. You've got Quinn Slesnitsky winds up coming in from Louisville. Guy was size, 11 points, 4 boards from 3 point range. He's knocking them down at 36%. So, has been able to do a good job there, but I think he's also going to be able to keep Delaware in this game. The fact that you've got a pair of guards that are able to give you double figures. Actually, a trio of guards. They're able to give you double figures. And Jameer Nelson Jr., Ryan Allen, and Kevin Anderson combining for about 37.5 points per game. You've been able to get about 11 rebounds per game out of them as well. You've got Allen shooting about 41% from 3. Nelson, 34%. And Anderson, more around 31% from 3. But Nelson and Anderson both shoot a above 83% at the free throw line. Delaware, they shoot 79.5% at the free throw line, which is a big reason why I'd be willing to take the points before I'd be willing to lay the points. This is one of the better teams in all of college basketball at being able to make their free throws. They've also been able to get a little bit of something off the bench out of Gio Marco. Arletti, who's been able to average a little bit over a steal and five points per game, and he's been able to shoot about 35% from three-point range, so he's been able to do a nice job for the team recently. Combined eight steals in the team's last two games, but I do take a look at Iona, a little bit of a deeper team. I think that Elijah Joyner is going to be able to do a good job in the backcourt, dealt with a little bit of ailments. Now he's back out there, good to go. I do think that you wind up getting late game following as well. So also set this total at 143. At 143, I'd be willing to go over before under, but this is another spot in which I'm looking for more like a 142 to really be able to firmly take the over or a 144 to be able to take a look at the under. So we're in a little bit of wait and see mode on this game. I set the line at five and a half. I own it myself at a total of 143. So we are currently patiently awaiting a little bit of why move on this game. 653, 654 on the bang board. South Alabama is going to be playing us to SIU Edwardsville. Edwardsville has signed themselves a 10 and a half to an 11 point underdog in your toss game is saying between 137.5 and 138.5 when it comes to South Alabama. They pumped up their tempo. Last year, they were in the bottom 55 with regards to possessions per game. Now, they're in the top half of college basketball with that aspect, so been interesting to see that, and you've got an SIU Edwardsville team that, let's call it what it is, this is a team that is really rough. Lamar and Jamar Wright have been able to do a relatively solid job for this team. These two guys have been able to combine for 16 points per game. you got Jamar being able to give you five rebounds per game. Neither of these guys really light it up from three. got a SIU Edwardsville team that, shooting 65% of the free throw line, 26% from three. Really, Ray Sean Taylor is carrying the team. 18 points, five and a half rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.8 steals, shooting 36.5% from three, and seven percent at the free throw line. Outside of him, you've got nothing. Charles Manning Jr. for South Alabama. Meanwhile, he's been able to do a relatively solid job now. You do want to note, he mysteriously did not wind up playing in the team's last game against Charleston State. It looks like he should be good to go on this one, but you got to be taking a look at this a little bit beforehand because I would make him worth multiple points to the line. So I do think that that's relatively important. Good news is I did wind up saying South Alabama at 14 here. So even if he does wind up getting rolled out, I'll still probably be on South Alabama. 
Alabama in this spot, so I do want to give that disclaimer. I did wind up saying the total at 138.5 as well, so at the 137.5, I'm going to be taking a look at the over, but when it comes down to it with South Alabama as well, you've got Javon Franklin who winds coming in from Auburn, and he's been able to do a good job for this team. When it comes to Franklin, 10 points, 6 rebounds per game, so that'll fly from. You've got J.J. Chandler, is able to shoot 38.5% from 377.5% of the free line, 15 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists per game, so has been a good set sheet suffer for this team. K.O. Gonzalez has been able to give you 9.5 points, 4.3 rebounds, as a search player has been able to shoot right around 31.5% from 3-point range, so I do think that South Alabama should be able to dominate an SIU Edwardsville team that they play fast, but they play not necessarily so efficiently either, so I want to making South Alabama a 14-point favorite in the spot, willing to lay the points. Also said the solo at a 138.5 as well, so I'm going to be taking a look at it over. 655, 656 on the betting board. You've got yourself Tarleton State, and Tarleton State is going to be playing us at Air Force. Air Force is finding themselves a 6.5 to a 7-point underdog, and your Tarleton's game is between a 114 and a 114.5. I thought that my 116 was low, so... Oh boy, I mean, these two teams are not good on offense. Charlton State has been making things very, very yucky, but I can't go quite this far. I've got to be taking a look at the over, especially if you wind up having a line like this where you think it's going to be about a six or seven point game with a minute to go. You know what that means, the march to the free throw line. So it's a spot in which... It's not like I like the over by a whole boatload of points, but I like the over in this spot just because the number is so stinking low. You've got a Charleston State team that they do a good job of being a forced turnovers. I mean, to their credit, this is a team that has really been able to slow down some great teams thus far this season, but they don't have what Air Force has. A.J. Walker, a guy that's able to give you 18 points, four boards, shooting 43.5% from three-point range. Now, he had a little bit of a clunker a couple days ago against Arkansas State. I fully expect him to be able to pick things up now. Air Force is not good on the glass. Ethan Taylor has been able to give you five and a half rebounds nine and a half points per game, but then you take a look at the flip side for Tarleton State, and you don't have much outside of Taj Small. Small has been able to play very big for this team. 14 and a half points, 6.3 rebounds, shooting 35 and a half percent from three-point range with 1.3 steals per game, so has been able to do a nice job there. You don't have a lot of facilitation when it comes to Tarleton State either. Shakur Daniel has been able to give you right around 2.3 assists per game. And with Daniel, someone that shoots right around 31% from three with six points per game, but you do take a look at Tarleton State. Overall, they're generating about nine steals per game. They only turn the ball for 12 and a half times per game. They do shoot 70 6.5% the free throw line. Then on the flip side for Air Force, aside from not necessarily having a ton of rebounding, this is actually a halfway decent team. But able to get right around 9 points per game out of Joseph Octave. Octave has been able to shoot 35% from 3 overall Air Force. They shoot just 66% the free throw line, but 36% from 3, the 15 turnovers per game. That's pretty unsightly. I think that you're going to get a grimy game, but I do think that A.J. Walker is going to be able to keep Air Force within arm's reach. So, could only tar- set Tarleton as a 5-point favorite. So, willing to take 6F and 7 here with Air Force and set this total at 160 so we're going over as well. 657-658, USC, Oklahoma State, canceled. 659-660, Cornell versus Syracuse, postponed. We move on. 661-662 on the bank board. Georgia State is going to be hitting the road to face off against Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets is finding themselves in between a 5 and 5.5 five and point favorite. And your total on this game, you're going to be getting it at anywhere between a 143 and a 143.5. I wound up saying this a lot at 143. I'd be looking at the 143.5 under, but I'm going to be waiting on a little bit of a line move here. If all I wind up getting is between 143 and 143.5, I will be willing to dive under, but when it comes to Georgia Tech, certainly has been an intriguing team. 
team because they're going to have by far the best score out there on the floor. And I should throw in there that this is actually going to be a game at the Footprint Center. So this is actually a neutral court game. So my bad on saying hit the road. But with that said, you've got a Georgia Tech team that has been able to really center themselves around Michael DeVoe. 22.5 points, 5 boards, 3.5 assists, shooting 51% from 3. Georgia Tech has a collective. They shoot 37% from distance, 7.5 seals per game. But you do take a look at the flip side for this Georgia State team. They wound up dealing with some COVID-19 issues, but now they've got darn near everyone back out there on the floor. You've been able to have some very good production with 14.5 points per game out of Justin Roberts. Roberts is someone that is shooting 44% from three-point range. Corey Allen has been dealing with some ailments, some COVID-19 concerns, but he is back out there, wound up having 23 points in the team's last game. He's shooting 44% from three-point range, 16 points per game. Big thing is, he is shooting 58% at the free throw line. This is a Georgia State team that they do shoot just 68.5% at the free throw line. Now, they generate 9.5 seals per game among their top six scores. Five of them give you at least one seal per game, and that includes a guy that has been able to give you right around seven rebounds per game in Jalen Thomas, but they've been without a few of their low post players thus far this season as well, which has made things a little bit tough for them as Eliel and Sume is someone that they wound up having some big expectations for, a guy that Lyas Eves was able to give the team 11.5 points, 10.5 rebounds per game, as Jordan Usher, along with Rodney Howard down low, have been able to give Georgia Tech about 6-7 to seven rebounds apiece, so both of these guys have been relatively solid. Now, when it comes to Georgia Tech, certainly one of the more one-dimensional teams out there in college basketball, which is why I could only make them a four-point favorite, and when it comes to this total, we are seeing it dip a little bit. I've actually seen it gone down as far as a 142 now, so, and here at a 142, I'd be willing to take a look at an over, because I do think that you do wind up getting a little bit of late-game fouling. I recognize that neither of these teams are necessarily terrific at the free throw line, but neither of these teams are necessarily terrible either. So I do take a look at the spot. Set Georgia Tech as a four-point favorite, so willing to take five and a half here when it comes to Georgia State. And when it comes to total, set it at a 143. So willing to take the 142 that I'm seeing pop up right now over. 663, 664 on the begging board. Marquette is going to be playing up to UConn. UConn is a two and a half point favorite in your tallest game. Air between 142 and 142 and a half. When it comes to this game, I wound up saying the total at 143 and a half because you do have a Marquette team that, though they have been a bit inefficient when it comes to their offense, they are a team that is certainly pumping up the tempo. This is a bunch that ranks in the top 50 in all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. And then you take a look at UConn. They're a team that they play with a little bit of pace as well. UConn has been dealing with some injuries, most notably. Mr. Adamo Sonogo, but Tyrese Martin wound up returning to the fold for the team's last game, and looks solid against Providence. He had 15 points, 5 rebounds, so that is certainly a booster for this team, but you do take a look at Marquette. They're going to have the best on-ball defender in this game, and that would be Daryl Morcel. Morcel comes in from Maryland, and he's been a good 3-point shooter for the team with 14 points, shooting 39% for distance, 80% the free-throw line. Overall, Marquette shoots only about 31.8% from 3, 70% the free-throw line. They played a little bit better at the great state of Wisconsin this season, but but you do take a look at this team as well, and you don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding. You've been able to get right in the pocket of about eight rebounds, 15 and a half points per game of uh, Justin Lewis, and they have to go up against a UConn team that has one of the best at being able to rebound in all of college basketball. Andre 3000 Jackson, 7.8 rebounds per game, a guy that's shooting 40% from three, 1.3 seals per game, so he has been terrific. And then we've got RJ Cole as well. Cole has been really giving out lumps of Cole to anyone that winds up fading his team as he has been able to do a nice job of being able to dish out right around four and a half assists, three and a half rebounds, has been 
be able to pump in their 16 points per game while being able to make about 33% of his three-point shots. So it's a great job of being able to really flow this offense. So I do take a look at this game, and I want to say UConn as a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I do think that they're going to be able to go on the road. I do think that they're going to be able to get the job done in this spot. So I'm willing to lay it here with them. And when it comes to this total, I did wind up saying it at a 143.5 as I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of late-game fouling in this spot as well. So it's a game in which I am willing to take over, and I'm going to be willing to lay the points when it comes to UConn. We move on to game number 665, 666 on the betting board. You've got Kansas, and Kansas is going to be hitting the road to face off against Colorado. The Buffaloes are finding themselves as a 9-9.5 point underdog in your total on this game is 144 with Kansas. They have only played one game to the under thus far this season, so they have been one of your better over teams in all of college basketball. And I want to saying this little right at a 144. So it's one of these games in which if it were to be just 144 on the close, I'd be willing to take an over before I'd be willing to take an under just because... With Kansas, this team has been so explosive and so up-tempo in general. You've got a guy in Oshay Ubaji who's right now playing like an All-American. This guy has really been able to pump it in there, being able to give his team right around 22 points per game. He and Remy Martin have been able to do a great job out there in the backcourt. Martin has seen a little bit of a dip in his production with regards to overall scoring, but when it comes to Remy Martin, this guy has been able to shoot 40% from three-point range, so he has been rock solid there. And they're playing against the Colorado team that has scored 65 points or fewer in six out of their last eight games against T1 competition. One of those games wound up going to overtime as well, so... That was a little bit fortunate on that one, but you do take a look at this Colorado team, and you still do have Jabari Walker, a guy that's six foot nine, has been able to give the team 13 and a half points, eight rebounds per game. He's not necessarily been able to do the job from three point range. Colorado in general has been putrid with their three point shooting, 31% from distance. They're shooting 73% at the free throw line. You just don't have that main facilitator like you had last season when it came to McKinley Wright the fourth, who just did everything for the team. Now it's been a lot of Mr. Bartholomew, who's been able to give the team 11 points. 2.7 assists per game for Keyshawn Bartholomew. And then you've had someone like an Eli Parquet come and been able to give the team 8 points per game. And for Colorado, 13 turnovers per game, it's not great. It's not terrible. It's just sort of meh. You've been able to get 44% 3-point shooting out of Luke O'Brien. He's been able to come on a little bit more recently for this team. He's been able to bury a few shots in the team's last few games. He had nine points in that game against UW-Milwaukee, so that was solid, but he just doesn't get a lot of minutes, and he just doesn't do a good enough job defensively as well, so that puts the team on a little bit of a tricky spot, which is why I did mind saying Kansas as a 10-point favorite. I recognize that having to travel to the CU Event Center is very difficult, but Christian Braun... It's a big-time statute suffer for this Kansas team. You take a look at him being able to give the team 17 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3 assists, shooting 34.5% from 3-point range has been absolutely magnificent. And you just take a look at him recently, 18-plus points in four of the team's last five games, at least six rebounds and three assists in all but one of those games as well. So he has certainly been on his game. And David McCormick, after a little bit of a rocky start to the season, he has really been able to pick it up as well. This is someone that, to begin the year, he had like eight points, five rebounds in the team's first couple contests. So him being able to get going is why I did wind up saying Kansas has a 10-point favorite. So I'm willing to lay here at the 144 total that we're seeing right now. Would be willing to take it over before I'd be willing to take it under just because of the way that Kansas in general has been playing. So it's a situation which I'm going to be taking a look at and over and I'm going to be taking a look at Kansas laying the points willing to lay up to 10 with them. 667, 668 on the betting board. You've got Pepperdine and Pepperdine is going to be playing against Oregon. Oregon is finding themselves in between a 14 and a half to a 15 point favorite. Your total on this game, you're going to be getting it anywhere between a 142 and a 143 and when it comes to Oregon, we'll end up setting them as a 16 point favorite. When it comes to Oregon, certainly has been 
a team that has been, shall we say, struggling this season, but I do think that having back Eric Williams, who wanted missing one of the team's big losses against Arizona State, has been big for them. He's really been a heart and soul piece, shooting right around 40% from three-point range. Oregon has actually not been a terrible shooting team from distance. A big thing for them has been actually at the free-throw line. When it comes to Oregon, this is a collective that is shooting just 66% the free-throw line, 34.5% per three. Will Richardson has been able to pump in their 42% three-point shooting with 12 points per game, three rebounds, right around 3.3 assists per game as well with Williams more like 9.5 rebounds and then Davion Harmon has come along as well a little bit over 10 points, 2 assists per game big thing is they need a little bit more rebounding and Fali Dante along Quincy Garrier are combining for 10 rebounds per game and Dante has been looking better and better as the season has won along, he wound up starting out the year injured so him being able to come back is big and this is a Pepperdine team that Frankly, has close to nothing down low. Keith Fisher, the third, is someone that winds up coming in from the Missouri Valley Conference. He's been able to give the team eight and a half points, right around six rebounds per game as a six foot eight sort of combo player. Jen Zidek has been able to give you 12 and a half points, right around four boards as a six foot nine starts player. That's popping threes at about a 33% clip, but you do take a look at Oregon. This is a team that they've always have been a relatively solid team at being able to generate seals, only about six per contest this season, but they have been able to do a little bit of a better job of that recently. And this is a Pepperdine team that they've got a very young and inexperienced backcourt. Hunter Mallet has been able to give you 12 points, four boards, a guy that's shooting about 38% for three-point range. He has been doing a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers, but overall, Pepperdine right around 15 turnovers as a collective because you do have right around three per contest out of Jade Smith, who's been able to give the team nine and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. Overall, Pepperdine shoots 76% at the free throw line, but they themselves don't generate a lot of turnovers. So, an interesting spot here. I do think that Oregon is starting to come together a little bit more. I actually liked what I saw from them in that game against Baylor, so I set them as a 16-point favorite. Also made this little 138. This is an Oregon team that has been playing much slower than they have in the past, so we're going to be going under, and I'm going to be laying the points when it comes to the Ducks. 669, 670 on the betting board. Utah State is going to be playing us of Portland State. The Vikings are finding themselves as a pretty sizable underdog here of 19 points in your total on this game. You're going to be getting it anywhere between a 139 and a 140, and when it comes to Utah State, I set them as a 23-point favorite. Portland State has been one of the lesser teams in college basketball this season. You've got a new coach, whole bunch of transfers, and it just is not working out for them right now. Meanwhile, Utah State got two versatile players of six foot eight or taller in Justin Bean along with Brandon Horvath, who have been able to do a tremendous job. Bean, 19 points, 10 and a half rebounds, three assists, shooting 50% from three. Horvath shooting 47.8% from three-point range with 14 points, six rebounds per game. Both of these guys have been terrific. Ryland Jones and Brock and Roll Miller have been able to combine for about 28 points per game. Jones, right around six assists per game, shooting 94% the free throw line. Overall, Utah State shoots 38% for three, 75% the free throw line, so you gotta love what these guys are able to bring to the table, and with regards to assist per May basket, one of the better teams in all of college basketball. Portland State has actually been one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. You wouldn't know by taking a look at the fact that they're scoring fewer than 70 points per game, though. Marlon Ruff and James G. Marie, both of these guys give you 13 points apiece per game. You've got Marie giving you 10 boards, shooting 37.5% for three-point range, but outside of him, Portland State shooting sub-25% for three as a collective, 25.4%, 74% at the free throw line, but the 16 turnovers per game have torpedoed them. Now they do get right around 10 steals per game. Khalid Thomas has been able to give you 7.5 points, 6 rebounds, 2 steals per game, so I do like what he's been able to do there. Michael Carter, 9 points, right around 2.5 assists per game, so he's been able to contribute in a couple different ways. Paris Dawson has been able to chip in their 6.5 points per game as well, but he's shooting 12% from 3-point range, so it has been really rough in that aspect. Honestly, Ian Burke, who's shooting 50% from 3, but only giving the team right around 6 points per game, has been one of your biggest surprises for the CMLC 
season long. I think that Utah State should completely bludgeon Portland State in this spot, set Utah State as a 23-point favorite. I think that Portland State is going to look to push the tempo again. I think that Utah State is going to be finding a whole bunch of open looks at this total at 145, so going over as well. 671, 672 on the banging board. You've got Utah Valley in the road to face off against Washington. The Huskies are finding themselves as a 49-point favorite in your tournament's game. It's anywhere between 136.5 and 137.5. I don't know if Utah Valley is going to be able to pull this one off outright, but I got these teams pretty much steady well on a neutral court. I wound up setting this line at 3.5, so I'm going to be willing to take 4.5 against a Washington team that, man, they are not necessarily great, to say the least. You do have Nate Roberts down low being able to supply 7.5 rebounds per game, but Fadas Amick has been able to chip in there 20 points, 13.5 rebounds, a block and a half per game. This guy has been absolutely superb for this team. And then you take a look past that, you do have a guy in place, Neald, who's been able to have an assist or turnover ratio of 3. He's given out right around 4.5 assists per game, so he's been helpful for a Utah Valley team that last year was really bad at the free throw line. This year, they've been able to improve. 72.5% at the free throw line with Neal. He's been able to give the team 7.5 points per game, and then you do have to like what you've been able to get out of Connor Harding with right around 11 points, 2.5 assists per game. A guy that's shooting 36.5% from three-point range. You've had Justin Harmon out of the fold a little bit for the team. He has missed the last few games, and you wound up having 24 points in that big one against BYU, so that certainly does hurt them a little bit, but you still have out there in the fold Mr. Latre Dothard, who's been able to give the team 10 points per game last year, shot 47% from three, more on 34% this season, but has been able to shoot 92% at the free throw line as well and went off for 30 points in the team's last game as well. So I do think that with Washington having Terrell Brown having to do everything for the team, and he's been good at doing everything. 21 points, 4 assists, not a great 3-point shooter, but has been able to do a nice job of being able to generate 2 steals per game as well. But with Washington shooting 67% free throw line, 30% from 3, despite all that he's doing, it's going to be a little bit tough for them to be able to cover this game. Wound up saying Washington as a 3.5-point favorite, so wanted to take the 4.5 in this spot. And when it comes to this total, I did want to make Making it a 143.5. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game fouling, so willing to go over to go along with the points. 673, 674 on the bank board. Grand Canyon is going to be in the road face off against Nevada. Nevada has found themselves a 5.5 point favorite in your total on this game. You're getting it at a 139 when it comes to this total. I want to say it at a 137. You do have a Grand Canyon team that has really been slowing things down. Nevada is certainly a team that is looking to pump up the tempo, but if there is a team that is going to be able to shut down their tandem of guards, I do think that it is Grand Canyon. This has been one of the better defensive teams in all of college basketball this season. Meanwhile, you do take a look at Nevada and Grant Shurfield along Desmond Cambridge have been just an unstoppable one-two punch all season long. You take a look at what these guys have been able to do, and they are combining for 37.5 points, a little bit over nine rebounds. Shurfield winds up giving you 6.5 assists per game. They combine for 2.5 steals per game. They combine to be able to shoot 39.5% from three-point range. Nevada as a team, they shoot 35% from distance, 78.5% at the free throw line, and then pass that. You do have Will Baker, who's able to chip in there right around 12.5 points per game. Now, they have been without A.J. Brahma. He's been a no-drama Brahma whenever he's been out there. He had 20 and 10 while he was at Robert Morris last season, so that is a little bit of a loss, but Warren Washington, a guy that was a little bit banged up to begin the year, he's looked very solid recently. Eight-plus rebounds in each of the team's last three games, and then you do take a look at this Grand Canyon bunch, and I think that they're going to be very alive in this game just because you do have some solid rebounding with this team as well. Gabe McLaughlin, the transfer from Southeast Missouri State, has been able to give the team 10 points to go Along with seven rebounds per game, Javon Blackshear, he's been able to pump it in there with right around 16 and a half points per game. Grand 
Grand Canyon as a collective, not necessarily the world's greatest shooting team at 64.5% at the free throw line, but they do shoot 35.5% from three-point range. Blackshear shoots 49% from three-point range. Hunter, a.k.a. Boo Boo Woods, 13.5 points, nearly three assists, 1.3 seals per game. This is a Grand Canyon team that they generate right around seven half seals per game, and I think that is going to be a big X factor if you're able to get a little bit more moving forward out of the Arizona State transfer in Tayshawn Cherry. Cherry is someone that wound up dealing with a little bit of injury, and he's been really relegated to the bench recently. He's been trying to just get off of that ailment, only about five points, three and a half rebounds per game, but this is a former top 100 recruit who has a little bit of talent, and I do think that he's going to be able to deliver a little bit of something in this game. Wound up making these teams pretty much dead equal on a neutral court. I've got Nevada as a three-point favorite in this spot, so I'm willing to take five and a half when it comes to Grand Canyon. Set this all at 137 and a half as well, so I'm going to be taking a look at the under. 675, 676 on the betting board. Santa Clara, it's the road face off against the NSAC. The Spartans are a six-point home underdog, and your tallest game is anywhere between 145 and 145 and a half. I really like the job that Tim Miles has been able to do with this program. You've got a guy in Amari Moore who's been able to lead the way in scoring with right around 15.5 points per game. A guy that does turn the ball over a little bit too much. He's got over 3.5 turnovers per game to his credit, but at the same time, this is a San Jose State team that I think is actually going to be able to match up down low because you do have Abrima Diallo who's been able to give the team a little bit over 8 rebounds per game, right around 8 points per contest, so that's been rock solid for the team. And then you take a look at Keyshawn Justice on the flip side for Santa Clara. 15 points, 7.5 rebounds, shooting 40 4% for 3 has been an absolute stat sheet suffer for this team. At least 13 points in now 4 of the team's last 5 games. You take a look at the backcourt for this team at P.J. Pipes. He has been able to get about 4 assists per game and then Jalen Williams has been able to do a nice job pumping in their 18.5 points per game and Joseph Arankic being back is absolutely massive. 15.5 points, 5.8 rebounds, 3.8 assists per game. So you've got a Santa Clara team that just is dangerous in general on offense, shooting 77.8% the free throw line, 37.5% from 3-point range. But the way that San Jose State is going to be able to hold in there is that they themselves shoot very well from three-point range, a little bit over 41% from distance. Now, the 13 turnovers per game with their style is a little bit tough, but Tibet Groner has been able to give you a little bit over nine points per game. You've been able to get right around 11.5 points per game when it comes to another backcourt piece for the team and Trey Smith, he's been able to come alive shooting 36.5% from three-point range with 11-plus points at each of the team's last four games. So I do take a look at it, and I do think that San Jose State is going to be very live in this game. Now, I don't think that they're going to be able to pull off the all right win. I do like what Santa Clara has been able to do this year, but could only make Santa Clara a 4.5-point favorite. Also made this little 142.5. I do think that there's going to be late game following, but I think that San Jose State is going to be playing a game that is going to see quite a few turnovers. San Jose State, they themselves aren't necessarily playing playing as fast as Santa Clara, and I think that they're going to get their tempo. So, looking at the under, and I'm going to be looking at the points when it comes to San Jose State. 677, 678 on the betting board. Cal Baptist is going to be playing us to Southeast Missouri State. SEMO is a 10-point underdog in your tallest game. You're going to get any, between a 148.5 and a 149.5. I set this total at 146. Cal Baptist has been rising their tempo a little bit, but this is still a bottom 100 team when it comes to possessions per game. Now, neither of these defenses have necessarily been efficient, but when it comes to Cal Baptist, it is a little bit of an intermittent three-point shooting team. We saw that on full display against Arizona. They won out, and they went up guns blazing in that first, like, five minutes of the game. They wound up bearing each other first five threes, and then from there, I think that they shot like 15% the rest of the game from distance, so that is something that you do want to be noting, but Taron Armstrong, how about what he's been able to do for this team? 12.7 rebounds, 7.8 assists. He's only been able to shoot 30% from three. His team is collective. Shoots 32.5% from three, and 64% free throw line is a little bit of a worry, but Reed Nottage has been able to give the team right around 11 points per game. Trey Armstrong has been able to give you right around 10 points per game, so these guys have been very solid for the team down low. You don't necessarily 
Mets have a ton, but Daniel Aiken is one guy that's able to fill it up with seven boards, a little bit over a block per game, and 12 points per contest. Meanwhile, you take a look at Southeast Missouri State, and Nigel Russell has been able to do a good job on the interior. He's been able to give this team a little bit over 8.7.5 rebounds per game, shooting 37.5% from three. Simo, as a collective, they shoot 75% of the free throw line, 33% from three. I think that they're going to be able to do a relatively okay job of being able to hit some shots, but I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a control game. I just don't think that the Southeast Missouri State cards are going to be able to keep up with those of Cal Baptist. Phil Pressel has been able to give you 14 points per game. He's shooting 45% from three-point range as well, and Chris Harris has been able to do a nice job. 11 points, three assists, good on-ball defense who was able to give you right around a seal per game, but we've got a Southeast Missouri State team that is highly inconsistent. Cal Baptist, I think, is going to be able to do a good job of protecting their home floor. A little bit of a body clock game as well. This is going to be starting at 9 central time for the Southeast Missouri State team as well. So I did wind up setting Cal Baptist as a 12.5 point favorite, so one to lay here. And also made this total a 146. So I'm going to be looking to dive under as well. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games. And my New York Post play today is you've got 679, 680 on the betting board. David is going to be playing against Alabama. I consider it pretty much a road game for Davidson because it's going to be out there in Birmingham, Alabama, and the Crimson Tide find themselves between an 8 and 8.5 point favorite with your total on this game, 149. I wound up setting this total more around a 144, so I'm going to be taking a look at an under, but when it comes to Davidson, I can only make them a six-point underdog. They've went nine and one against the spread, and this team has been incredibly impressive when it comes to their three-point shooting in the top ten in all of college basketball with regards to being able to hit their outside shots at a little bit over 41%. Hunjun Lee has been nothing short of incredible for this team. A guy that's able to give you right around seven rebounds per game. He shoots over 40% from three, 18 points per game. Now, for Alabama, you certainly do have a good backcourt for this team. Keon Ellis just does whatever's needed for the team. 12.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 1.5 steals per game, shooting 30 6% for 3, 91% the free throw line, but Alabama, they do shoot 67% the free throw line. They only shoot right around 33.8% for 3, and this is a Davidson team that overall, they're a relatively solid free throw shooting team at right around 76%, but when they wind up going away from home, they shoot over 81% at the free throw line. That is a top 15 mark in all of college basketball. Foster Lawyer has been able to give the team 16 points, shoots 53% from 3-point range. Luka Bravic along Sam Menga have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 19 points, 12 rebounds per game, so both of these guys have been rock solid, and Menga has been able to shoot 57% from three-point range. I think that Alabama's going to have their hands full with Noah Gurley. He's been okay for this team. He and Charles Padeco are both combining for about 13.5 points, 7 rebounds on the interior, but I would like to see a little bit more from both of them, and with Alabama in general. The 14 turnovers, though they do play a little bit up-tempo, that's a bit of a concern as well. Set Davidson as a six-point underdog, so the New York Post play of the day is going to be Davidson catching the points. Also made the total 144.5 when it comes to Davidson. Just traditionally a bottom 75 team with regards to possessions per game in Alabama. They themselves with regards to defensive efficiency. Typically good, though they're outside the top 100 right now. I think that they're going to try to sure that up a little bit. So taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at Davidson getting the points as that is the New York Post for the day. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas rotation order with these as well. This begins with 306-001-306-002. USC Upstate is going to be hitting the road to face off against Ohio. The Bobcats are finding themselves as a favorite of 22 points in your Tarlons game is 138. I think we've gone a little bit too far when it comes to this line with Ohio. I was honestly expecting a tad bit more from them. It's not like they're the world's biggest disappointment or anything like that, but at the same time, they have been 
a little bit rough when it comes to their outside shooting as you've got an Ohio team that overall they have really been having to look a lot to Mr. Ben Vanderplas for production. He's been very versatile along Jason Carter. These two guys are able to combine for about 26 points per game. They give you a combined 14 rebounds. You've got Vanderplas shooting 38% from three-point range. You're able to get a combined about five assists and three seals per game as well. And then you do have out there in the backcourt, Mr. Sears, who's been able to give the team 17 points, 4.3 rebounds, three and a half assists for Mark Sears, shooting 48% from three-point range. But Ohio's a collective, they shoot 34% from three. They do shoot 78.5% at the free throw line as well, which is very solid. They are getting right around eight seals per game. Ben Roderick has been able to chip in there right around seven points per game. But when it comes to USC upstate, I think that they're going to be in the Mazone. That'd be Bryce Mazone, 13 points. Five rebounds, shooting 35% from three. Upstate, they only shoot 65% from the free throw line, but 33.6% from three-point range. They turn the ball over a tad bit too much, but at the same time, Delvin White being able to bury about 40% of his threes with six and a half points per game is solid. You've been able to get nine and a half points, four boards, and a solid three-point shooting percentage out of Jordan Ganey as well. As he's making about 45.5% of his threes. Big thing is, you don't have a ton down low, but Josh Aldrich has been able to give you five points, five rebounds. He's able to shoot 93% of the free throw line as well. And you've got good versatility when it comes to USC upstate. You take a look at them, and they've got right now eight different guys giving you at least five points per game. So I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game. Ohio's been turning over a little bit of a newer identity with playing a tad bit more defensively, but USC Upstate is a team that they are looking to get out there and run it a little bit as well. So it is a game in which I wind up setting this little more around at 135 and a half. So I'm going to be taking a look at a under in this spot, and when it comes down to it, I wound up making Ohio just an 18 and a half point favorite. I think that they win this game comfortably, but I think we've got a little bit too far here. So so I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the points. As we move on to 306-003, Jacksonville is going to be in the road to face off against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a 5.5 point favorite, and your total on this game is 119.5. I wound up saying this total at 125. I think that we've gone a little bit too far when it comes to dogging this Pittsburgh offense, so it has not been good. At the same time, you do have a guy in Jamarius Burton who's only been able to average right around 8 points per game. I think a little bit of this has been due to ailment, and I think that he's going to be able to emerge a little bit towards the back half of the season. So I'm going to be taking a look at an over with Jacksonville. This is a team that ranks in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball when it comes to turnovers on a per possession basis on offense. So that is going to dampen them a little bit when it comes to Pittsburgh. I also do think that they are going to be able to win the battle down low. You've got John Hughley, who's been able to give you eight rebounds per game. And he's been the team's top scorer as well. Not a guy that is going to be stretching the floor or anything like that, but has been able to pump in their 15 points per game. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jacksonville and Middle Tennessee transfer Jordan Davis. has been able to give you a little bit over 12 points per game. He's shooting about 33 percent from three-point range out. They do have Kevin Vian Nolan back in the fold. He wound up returning in the last few games. He's been in miss In five games, he has scored 4-5-17-23 and six points. So you just don't know what you're going to be able to get from him on a night-to-night basis, shooting 41% from three-point range, but certainly a little bit of a wild card for the same Tommy Burner. He has come in from USC Upstate. He's been able to get the team eight and a half points per game overall. Jacksonville shoots 34.5% from three, 71% at the free throw line, but the turnovers and just how slowly they play, that is going to be hurting them a little bit. And what else is very big is the fact that you don't have a lot of rebounding. Ose Osifo is able to give you right around five and a half rebounds per game. And I do think that Femi Olakala is doing a good job of being able to hold it down with regards to this offense as well. Someone who has been able to give the team at least five rebounds and now four of the team's last five games, at least three assists, and four of the team's last five while being able to give the team 11 points per game. So, willing to lay up to nine here when it comes to Pittsburgh. And I also said this all at 125. So, I'm taking a look at the over and I am looking to lay the points when it comes to the Panthers. We move on to 306-005, 306-006. As you've got Jackson State and they're going to be playing against Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin. Stephen F. Austin is finding themselves a 10-point favorite and your total on this game is 126. 
I think we've went way too low with regards to the total. I wanted setting it at a 140 because you do have a CFF Austin team that they do a good job of being able to pump up the tempo. They do a great job of being able to force turnovers. And this is a Jackson State team that they don't do a great job of being able to hold on to the ball in general. When it comes to Jackson State, what I do like for them is what you've been able to get out of Javius McKinnis. He's been able to give you right around 10 rebounds per game, 11 points, so he's been one of the better rebounders in all of college basketball, but when it comes to backcourt, you certainly have some question marks. Gabe Watson has been the top player for the team. When he's been out there, he's been able to average 15 points per game, but he has been dealing with quite a few ailments. He did wind up returning in that overtime loss against Drake. He wound up having 17 points, so you've got to figure that he's going to be out there in this game as well, but even with them out there on the floor, this is a team that they're turning the ball over 15 times per game, and they're not necessarily playing very fast. They shoot 63% at the free throw line. And then you take a look at the Lumberjacks and David Kekelreese, as we will give you a little bit over four and a half assists per game. He's been able to do a great job being able to knock down 40% of his threes with 12 points per game. Gavin Kensmill has been able to give you 16 points, seven and a half boards. He has been good for the team as well. Stephen F. Austin shoots 37 and a half per three now. They turn the ball over 17 times per game, but they generate 10 steals per game as well. We saw what they were able to do against Kansas. They looked very impressive against a very good competitor in that game. Roddy Ware has been able to give you right around 11 points per game as well. And then when it comes to the Jackson State team, just not a lot of flow or facilitation with the team. Jonah James has been able to give you right around 6.5 points per game. Ken Evans has been able to dish out three assists with his 6 points per game. And does shoot 45% from three-point range, but I do think that Stephen F. Austin is going to be able to force some good turnovers as I wind up setting them as more around 12-point favorites. So I'm willing to lay the points and I think that you wind up getting an up-tempo game with just the frenetic pace that Stephen F. Austin likes to play with. Just something that Jackson State hasn't seen. So I want to take this total 140 going over and I'm willing to lay the points here with Stone Cold Steven F. Austin. 3 of 6 0 0 7, 3 of 6 0 0 8. Jacksonville State is going to be hitting the road to face off against Little Rock. Little Rock is a 7 point home underdog in your tallest game is 136. I set this at 9.5 for Jacksonville State. When it comes to the Gamecocks, this is a very well-coached team. Ray Harper is a guy that I have a lot of just respect in general for. And when you take a look at this Little Rock team, they're a team that is currently in quite a bit of disarray. As you were hoping for Nikolai Medic to be able to do a solid job for them. He was the team's top score last season, and he has been dealing with quite a few injuries. He was also one of the team's top rebounders as well as he was being able to give the team right around 12.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 3 assists per game as a six foot ten combo player has not played here in the month of December, so Isaiah Palermo has had to really take things over with Palermo, 13.5 points, 4.7 rebounds, shooting 45.5 percent per three, but Little Rock, as a collective, turns the ball over 15 times per game. They shoot 31 percent per three, and you got a Jacksonville State team that has been able to do a good job of being able to bear down on defense. They held Alabama to sub-70 points Said. This is a team that you've got Jalen Gibbs along with Darian Adams being able to combine for 26 and a half points per game. They're both able to give you combined nine rebounds per game and you're getting a little bit over four assists out of Adams who has been able to do a nice job as well of being able to get so many other guys in the fold as you've also had Brandon Huffman down low be able to give you nine and a half points, five boards per game. You've had Kenny Henry be able to chip in there a little bit over eight points, five rebounds and this is a collective that shoots 37.8% from three point range so I think that that's going to be a really bad matchup for a Little Rock team that has been one of the lesser ones at being able to guard the three-point arc. Little Rock may have been giving up points upon points against C1 competition, 77 points or more given up in each out of the team's last four games. Meanwhile, Jacksonville State has been one of the better defensive teams in all of college basketball in the last few games as well. So I did wind up saying on a total of 135 and a half. So here on 136, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, even though I do think that you could wind up getting a little bit of late game fouling in this spot, but wind up setting Jacksonville State as a nine and a half point favorite. So willing to lay the points. 306-009-306-010. You've got Charleston Southern, and they are going to be playing against South Carolina State. This is part of the Citadel Invitational sort of event. So we've got no numbers up on this game because both of these teams wound up playing yesterday, but 
I set South Carolina State as a two and a half point favorite initially. After what we wound up seeing from them, after seeing also Charleston Southern just get completely bludgeoned as well, I went to a full four on this game with South Carolina State. Them being able to knock off the Citadel by double digits was relatively impressive. They were able to get a nice win over South Florida as well. And then you take a look at this Charleston Southern team, and they were down 25 at the half against Manhattan yesterday. So that was not necessarily too terrific. Now, when you're taking a look at Charleston Southern, the big key for this team has been Sean. Price. Sean Price does a good job of being able to provide a wide variety of things for the team. He was able to score double figures yesterday. A guy that coming into yesterday was averaging 7.5 points, 6.5 rebounds, 2.3 assists per game. So he does a good job of being versatile for the team. Tablik for Chavez has been able to give you right around 11 points per game. Shooting 34% from three-point range, but that's part of the problem for Charleston Southern. Charleston Southern going into yesterday, they were shooting a poultry 27.3% from three-point range, right around 65% at the free throw line. And then you take a look at this South Carolina State bunch, and all of a sudden, you've been able to get this team firing on all cylinders. They've had a little bit of a coaching regime change in the offseason, and it seems to be doing wonders because you don't necessarily have that one-star guy that's been giving you massive production. You do have Cameron Jones, who's able to give you right around 11.5 points, a little bit over four rebounds per game, two and a half assists, but it's not like he's out there just putting up absolutely ridiculous numbers. South Carolina State, they themselves shoot about 33% from three, 68% the free throw line with 14 and a half turnovers per game. But what they also do is they generate right around eight steals per game at Oliver Hampton. Comes in from Hampton, eight and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. So he's been able to do a good job. The coach's son, Mr. TJ Madlock. 10 points, 5 rebounds, a guy that has been struggling from 3-point range, but yesterday he wound up making all of his threes in that game. He's been able to dish out a little bit over 3 assists per game, so you've got a bunch of good combo players. Omir Kroski has been able to give you 7.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game, so I think that Charleston Southern going to be outgunned in this spot. I did wind up saying South Carolina State as a 4-point favorite. Made this total 146 and a half as well. You've got a pair of teams that like to play up-tempo. Both of these teams do get pretty sloppy at, with the ball as well. I do think that there might be a little bit of late game following as well, so settled on a Total of 146.5 made South Carolina State a four point favorite. 306 0 11 Florida AM is going to be in the road face off against Arizona State. Sun Devils are a 16 point favorite, and your total game is 128. I could not advise taking Arizona State in this spot. I wanted making this line more in the neighborhood of about 12.5. When it comes to Arizona State, they certainly have been struggling ever since they wanted dealing with the loss of. Marcus Bagley wound up playing three games this season, and ever since then, he's been out of the fold. I mean, we've already seen this Arizona State team wind up losing on their home floor to UC Riverside, so we have seen some bad results from this team. And for Florida A&M, this is a team that they know what they are. They are going to pound the ball down low. They are not really going to be looking to take threes whatsoever, but they do have a star player that I do think is going to be able to keep them relatively live in this game as you've been able to get some very good production out of MJ Randolph. MJ Randolph has been able to give the team a little bit under 18 points per game. He chips in their seven rebounds. When he shoots threes, he actually does a good job of being able to hit them at right around 40% himself. Now, the big key for the team is being able to get a little bit around him. They have been able to have someone like a DJ Jones be able to help out on the interior. 8.7 points, 4.7 rebounds per game. You've also had Mr. Jalen Spear be able to chip in their 10 points right around two and a half assists per game. So these guys have been relatively solid for AM. They only turn the ball for 12 and a half times per game themselves. And then when it comes to Arizona State, DJ Horn has been able to give the team 13 points per game. And it's really been this team's best player all season long because you take a look at the rest of Arizona State and you just haven't been able to get a lot out of the rest of the team. You were expecting bigger things from Alonzo Caffney. He's been able to give you a little bit over a block per game. He's been able to chip in there right around five rebounds. And Kamani Lawrence has been solid as well. 11.5 points, right around eight rebounds per game. Did wind up having 18 points, 10 boards in that 
loss against San Francisco, but and you just take a look at the Arizona State team. They're disjointed. They're playing at a slower tempo than they really ever have before, shooting 29% from three-point range, 68% at the free-throw line. This is just a broken offense at this point, so I did wind up making this total 128.5, so I'm willing to take it over because I do think that there might be a little bit of late-game fouling in this one because I think that Florida Am is going to be able to hang in there. Set this line at 12.5, so taking the points, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over as well. 306 0 14. You've got Morgan State, and they are going to be playing host to James Madison. The Dukes are finding themselves as a 7.5 point favorite, and your total on this game is 144. I wound up saying James Madison at 8.5. With James Madison, this team has been absolutely tremendous at being one of those whole is greater than the sum of its parts sort of teams. Meanwhile, when it comes to this Morgan State team, what has really been hurting them has been Detorian Ware seeing a big drop off from last season. Last season, he was absolutely tremendous, scoring right around 20 points in MIAC play. He was able to give out right around 4 assists. He was able to do a good job with 5-plus rebounds per game. This year, he's scoring fewer than 10 points per game. So the fall-off has been very immediate and has been very harsh for this team. Meanwhile, you take a look at James Madison and Alonzo Sewell has been able to do a good job down low for this team. He's chipping in there a little bit over 6 rebounds per game. You've got Takao Molson, Satchit Suffer, 11 points, 5 rebounds, right around 3 assists per game as a collective. James Madison only shoots right around 32 and a half percent from 365.5% at the free line, but they generate 10.5 steals per game, each other top 4 scores are able to give you also 1.2 steals per game or more, including Charles Falden. The transfer from Winthrop has been able to give the team 10 points per game, shooting about 42% from three-point range for Morgan State. They have been looking a little bit more to ancillary pieces out there in the backcourt to play bigger roles to be able to help things out because it certainly has been a little bit of a rough run for them this season as they've had to rely a lot more on ancillary pieces to be able to help out. You've had someone like an Isaiah Burke be able to give you right around nine points per game. Keith McGee, he's been able to pump in there 11 points per game. He from three-point range, shooting about 30 nine percent for three, but Morgan State as a collective. 15 turnovers per game. They shoot 28% from three, 65% the free throw line. This does not look like the same team that we wound up seeing last season. So, as a result, did wind up making James Madison in this game an 8.5 point favorite. So, I'm willing to lay it here. Also, did wind up saying the sold out 146.5. You've got an up tempo James Madison team, a Morgan State team that they're looking to gun it a little bit more as well. So, taking the over, and I'm laying the points. 306.015.306.016. You've got yourself Maine, and the Black Bears are going to be playing us to Merrimack. Merrimack between a 7 and 7.5 point favorite, and your total on game is between 115 and 115 and a half. Boy, this is sad. I set my line at 115, so at 115 and a half, I'm willing to take the under, and even at 115, I'm going to be doing so. It's such a low total, but it's warranted. Merrimack plays this just psycho zone amoeba defense that is so hard to be able to acclimate to. And then you take a look at Maine. This is a team that has broken 65 points once in the last, I believe it's now 21 months. I mean, this team has been absolutely putrid. And this is a team that actually played basketball last season. So that shows you just where they're at. You've got Buskane Mozik, who has been able to give you right around nine points per game for this main team. They've been dealing with Stefan Ingo, their top rebounder with six and a half rebounds per game, being out of the fold each other last five games. So that has hurt them. You do have Louisiana Monroe transfer and Chris Afatui, who has been able to give you right around six points, four rebounds per game. But, I mean, man, you take a look at me. They're shooting 23.7% from three. 73% the free throw line, and they do generate nine steals per game, but 14 and a half turnovers per game. you got a Merrimack team that they themselves are not necessarily prolific on offense, shooting 31% from three. 11 and a half turnovers per game for them, and they generate 10.1 steals per game as well. So that has really been their calling card. 
Got a 42% three-point shooter and Malik Edmond, who has been able to do a solid job for the team recently. He's been able to give the team eight plus points in each of the team's last four games. Mikey Watkins, right around eight and a half points, four boards, three assists, has been a very solid cog for the team. And you take a look at Merrimack, each other top five scores, at least 1.3 steals per game, including Jordan Miner, has been able to give the team 14 and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. I do think that this is a Merrimack team that should be able to control things down low. Maine is just, in my opinion, a bottom five team in all of college basketball at this point. So with Merrimack, even though it's a low-scoring game, I think that there's a good chance that they can hold Maine to about 50 in this game. I want to making Merrimack a nine-point favorite. I said this all at 115. So at 115 and a half, I'm diving under and I'm laying the points when it comes to the Warriors of Merrimack. 306-017, Northwestern State is going to be playing against Texas A&M. The Eggies are finding themselves a 23 and a half to a 24 and a half point favorite with your total on this game, 140. When it comes to Texas A&M, they've actually bumped up their tempo a little bit more this season. They're more around like 180th with regards to possessions per game. So they've been able to do a little bit more than they've done in the past under Buzz Williams. And a big reason why is what you've been able to get out of your top player in Quentin Jackson. Jackson has been able to get the same 12 and a half points per game. He's shooting 47% from three point range, 13 plus points in four of the team's last five games. So he has certainly come to play for the team. Texas A&M down low. Does have Henry Coleman the third, who's been able to get the team nine and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. Has been dealing with a little bit of ailment this season, but in that game against Oregon State, he had arguably his best game of the season with 16 points. Tyrese Radford has been able to chip in there right around nine points, five and a half rebounds per game. Overall, Texas A&M is shooting 39% from three-point range, only about 64.5% the free throw line, so that is a little bit of an issue. And then you take a look at Northwestern State, and you do have Kendall Coleman down low. He's been able to do a good job giving the team 15 and a half points, 8.3 rebounds per game. Everyone else on the team generates eight points per game or fewer, but I do like what you're able to get out of LaTerrence Reed. He has come back into the fold for the team with seven points per game, shooting 35% from three-point range. We got a 40% three-point share with seven... 0.3 points per game in a Marion McDonald. McDonald has been able to emerge a little bit more recently with double digits in three of the team's last five games. So I do like the way that he's been able to help things out with Northwestern State. Shooting just 61% the free throw line, 15 turnovers per game. It is a little bit rough, but when it comes down to it, I think that we might have went a tad bit too far here. I want to say Texas A&M as a 22 and a half point favorite. They themselves certainly have their woes when it comes to being able to retain the ball. And I do want to say in the total 134 and a half, you've got a Northwestern State team that is pretty sloppy with it and a Texas A&M team that at their core, they do look to play a little bit slower. So diving under and I'm going to be taking the points with Northwestern State. 306-019, was supposed to be Long Island versus UMass. This game has been canceled. We move on. 306-021, Lehigh is going to be playing us. Albany. Albany has signed themselves as a three and a half to a four and a half point underdog in your tallest game is between 131 and 131 and a half. I did wind up saying the total at 132, so I'm willing to take an over in this spot. And when it comes to Albany, I feel like they should be a little bit of an underdog. I could only set them as a two point underdog though. So I'm going to take between three and a half and four and a half in this spot with them because when it comes to Lehigh, this team wound up losing just so much of their prolific scoring from last year. So they are in a little bit of transition there. When it comes to Albany, they too are in transition as they want up having their coach be replaced in the offseason in Dwayne Killings and he has brought with him Devondre Perry from Temple. 12 and a half points, five and a half rebounds. He's been a solid 33% three-point shooter overall for Perry. He's been able to give the team 14 plus points at each of the team's last three games, including an outright win against Boston College. And then you take a look at Lee and Evan Taylor has been solid for the team. Six foot six combo player, 12 points, six rebounds per game, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. You've got both of the Wilsons being able to do some solid work for the team. Jamero Wilson along with Marquise Wilson are combining for right around 22 points per game. They combine to be able to shoot about 30% for three-point range. Jamero, 35 percent. 
Marquis, more around 26%. And then when it comes to Lehigh, the big bugaboo for the team, turnovers. 17 turnovers per game. It is not as if Albany does necessarily a terrific job of holding it onto the ball as well. They turn the ball over 14 times per game themselves. They shoot 29% from three-point range. But I do like what you're able to get out of Matt Saruti. He's been able to give the team nine and a half points, three boards per game. And then I also do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit more moving forward out of Justin Neely, who's been able to give the team five rebounds per game. And he's had a little bit of an up and down recently, but has been able to give the team at least five boards in now four of the team's last six games. So with Albany, I could only set them as a two-point underdog. Going to take the points, not the money line with them. And with setting my total 132, I'm looking at the 131 over. 306-023, 306-024. You've got Presbyterian and the Blue Oaks are going to be it. The road to face off against Furman. Furman is finding themselves a 12 and a half to a 13 and a half point favor with your total on scheme 132. With Furman, this is one of the more up-tempo teams in all of college basketball. They did wind up falling a little bit short of the total when they wound up playing against North Carolina about a week or so ago, but I'm not going to let that detract me on this Furman team. I wound up setting them as a sizable 16 point favorite in this spot just because when you take a look at Furman, they've got a guy in Jalen Slauson who can give you a triple-double on any given night. He's been averaging 16 points, 8 and a half rebounds, 3.8 assists, two blocks, two steals per game, so that has been terrific. And then you take a look at the backcourt of this team, and you've got Alex Hunter, who has been hunting down made three-pointers. 19 points per game, shooting 50% for three-point range. Furman has a collective. They shoot 39.5% from distance. They've been able to have Mike Bothwell be able to give you right around 14.5 points per game as well. You take a look past that, and Conley Garrison has been able to chip in there right around nine points per game with Garrison. He shoots about 44% for three-point range. You don't necessarily have that with Marcus Foster, but good combo player, seven points, five and half rebounds per game. And then you take a look at Presbyterian and it's all about Rayshon Harrison right now. He's been able to give the team two and a half assists, 17 and a half points per game, four and a half boards. He only shoots about 26% from three-point range though. Winston Hill down low has been able to give the team 11 points, a little bit over seven rebounds per game. So they do need to get a little bit more out of someone like a Brandon Younger this year has been falling short of expectations with right around seven points per game. Presbyterian has a collective. They turn the ball over 15 and a half times per game. They generate nine steals per game, but they also shoot 26% from three-point range. So I think that Furman should be able to dominate this game, and as a result, I did wind up saying Furman as a 16-point favorite, so won't delay the points. Also made this total 142. You do have a Presbyterian team that is one of the slower ones in college basketball, but Furman always seems to do a good job of being able to kick up their tempo, and they're very efficient on offense as well. So, taking the over, and I'm going to be laying the points with Furman. 306-025, 306-026. Dayton is going to be playing host to Southern. Southern is finding themselves between a 14.5 and a 15.5 point favorite, and your total on this game, you're finding it at a 135.5. This is a Southern team that is coming off an outright win a couple days ago against Kent State. I was very impressed by what we wound up seeing in that one. So it is a game which I wound up setting Dayton as a 13.5 point favorite with Dayton. I do think that they should be able to win this game rather comfortably. But when it comes to Southern, they've actually got some good pieces out there in the backcourt. P.J. Bird wound up hitting the game winner against Kent State a few days ago, and then you've got Tyrone Lyons past that. He's been able to give this team 15 points, 4.5 rebounds from 3-point range, shooting about 41.5% from 3-point range as a collective. You've got Southern shooting 37% from 3-point range. They do turn the ball over right around 15 points per game, but I do like what Jaden Sadler is able to bring to the table right around 11 points, 4 assists, and 2 steals per game. And then down low, you've got Damian Sears doing a good job for this team as well. With Sears, he's been able to give the team five points, five and a half rebounds per game. So he's been pretty much a designated rebounder, but he himself chips in there about 1.8 steals per game. The Southern team, as a collective, they generate a little bit over 11 per contest. Then you take a look at Dayton, and you've got... 
Four different guys averaging between 10.1 and 10.4 points per game. Deron Holmes has been able to give you 10.5 points, five rebounds per game. You've got two guys that are shooting between 40 and 41.5% from three-point range of Elijah Weaver and Malachi Smith, both giving you 10.1 points per game with Smith. Five assists to 1.8 turnovers per game, and then Tumani Kamara, 10 points, six half rebounds. He does commit three turnovers per game, and he doesn't necessarily pop threes very well. 14 turnovers per game for Dayton. I think it's actually going to be a little bit of a bad matchup for this Flyers team, so I do think that it's a Southern team that's going to be able to hold in there. I don't think that they're going to be able to get another outright win, but I wound up saying Dayton as a 13 and a half point favorite. I also made this little 145. you got a Southern team looking to play relatively up-tempo. You've got a little bit more of a slow team here when it comes to Dayton as well, so I wound up going a little bit more in the middle, so it is a case in which I'm going to be taking the points when it comes to Southern, and with this total, I'm going to be taking a look at the under with my total at 135.5. We've got a couple games that are postponed slash canceled. 306-027, 306-028, Florida State, North Florida. That game has been postponed. 306-029, 306-030. You've got Houston Baptist and Florida International. That game has been canceled. So we go to 306-031, 306-032. Winthrop is going to be in the road to face off against Mississippi State. Mississippi State is finding themselves as a favorite of between 9.5 and 8.5 points in your total on this game. And we're between 141 and 142. I did wind up saying Mississippi State as a 10-point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay up to that 10 number when it comes to Mississippi State. When it comes to Bulldogs, I do like what you're able to get down low out of Garrison Brooks. He's been able to do a solid job with just under 7 rebounds, 11.5 points per game, shooting 40% from three-point range as well. That has been a nice little added bonus. Iverson Molnar has been struggling a little bit when it comes to his three-point shooting, but I think that that's going to come around. He's still been able to give the team 16.5 points per game. He has been able to do a good job dishing up 4.5 assists and a seal per game. And then you take a look at Todd Smith, and he has been solid when he's been out there. He's likely going to be out of the fold once again. Has not played since the 5th of December. He's been able to give the team 13 points per game, but even past that, you still have DJ Jeffries, 10 points, Five and a half rebounds per game, shooting 35% for three-point range. Shaquille Moore shooting 37.5% for distance as Mississippi State has collective 12 turnovers per game, 35% three-point shooting, 74% at the free throw line. They do a good job of being able to generate seals, but this is also a Winthrop team that they've got some good weapons of their own. DJ turned it up, Burns down low, 16 and a half points, five boards per game. You've got a pair of guys shooting between 46 and 47% for three in Corey Hightower along with Patrick Good. They're combining for 24 points per game. Now with Hightower, he wanted missing a few games for the team a little bit earlier, and he wound up having a big giant zero burger against Elon. So I did wind up downgrading them a little bit for that. You've also been able to get right around seven and a half points per game out of Michael Anumba. Anumba has been someone that has been versatile with 36% three-point shooting of his own. Winthrop has a collective. They shoot 39% for three, but also 14 turnovers per game. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a bad matchup for them. DJ Burns is always limited with his minutes as well. So I did wind up saying Mississippi State as a 10-point favorite as a result. I do think that you wind up getting some late game following here. Set this total at one. 142. So here at the 141, going to be taking a look at the over and a mono later with regards to Mississippi State. 306033, 306034, VCU and New Hampshire has been canceled. 306035, 306036, Binghamton and Niagara has been canceled as well. So we go to 306037, 306038. You've got George Mason and they're going to be playing us to American. American is finding themselves as a 16 to 15 point underdog. Draw this game is saying between 138 and a half and 139 when it comes to George Mason. Calling wanting to make them a 13 and a half point favorite. I do like what I've seen out of George Mason, but ever since they wound up having that nice win over Maryland, they have been regressing a little bit. They were able to knock off Georgia, but I feel like those two marquee wins were built a little bit on sand just because they certainly aren't necessarily the world's greatest teams this season. And then when you take a look at what you're able to get on the flip side, it certainly is a fascinating team when it comes to this American bunch because with American, what I think is really big for them is being able to get Stacey Becton going. He's someone that is right around six foot 
for as they will give the team 13 and a half points leading the way unfortunately with 4.8 rebounds per game and shooting 37% for three with a steal and a half per game as they will give the team 13 plus points and far the team's last five games so has certainly been able to do a nice job there when it comes to facilitation that is lacking a little bit for American but been able to get right around 3.2 assists at 10 and a half points per game out of Colin Smalls. Smalls has been trying to come up big for the team with 1.2 steals per game as well. He's also been able to come up with double figures in three of the team's last five games. American overall is a team that is shooting 32.7% from three-point range, 13 turnovers per game, but they do a good job of being able to generate a couple steals. And Johnny O'Neill is someone that is shooting 38% from three-point range with nine and a half points as a six foot nine combo player. And then when it comes to this George Mason team, you've got to love what you're able to get out of Sean Schwartz. Lines coming in from Colorado was one of the more underrated transfers in all of college basketball, in my opinion. 14 and a half points, five boards, shooting 38% from three-point range overall. George Mason shoots 36% from three, 70.1% at the free throw line with Josh Oduru being able to give you 18 and a half points, seven boards, 1.7 blocks per game. And then you've also got Devon Cooper winds up coming in from the Morehead State team that made the NCAA tournament last season. He's been able to notch 13 points, three assists per game. So you've got good overall production. Xavier Johnson has been dealing with a couple of injuries. He wound up returning in that game against Georgia. He wound up having nine assists, so that was very good. He was very much a pass-first guy. Did not wind up making a single field goal, but he did know his role, and he knew it very well. But I do think that American is going to be able to hold in there with their backcourt. So made this line 13 and a half. I'm willing to take the points and Also made this subtle 135 and a half. American has been good at being able to throw down a little bit. George Mason, I think is going to be able to show off their defensive might as well. So I'm going to be taking the under and I'm going to be taking the points. 306-039, High point. Hopes to not be a low point against Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic is anywhere between a 2 and 3 point favorite with your total and between 134 and 134.5. This is a line that I made 2 with Florida Atlantic. So I'm going to be willing to take a three when it comes to high point. I don't necessarily want high point outright just because when it comes to high point, the big thing with this team is that they're just a little bit too centered around one man. And that one man is very good at John Michael Wright. You take a look at what he's been able to do this season and he has been nothing short of incredible for this team. 22 points per game to go along, five boards, 4.3 assists, shooting 43% for three-point range. You take a look at him recently and he's been able to notch at least 26 points in four of the team's last five games. Absolutely ridiculous. Then you take a look at the other side for Florida Atlantic and Michael Forrest is a guy that like he's been able to chip in there 15 and a half points, three assists, a steal and a half per game. He shoots 37% from three-point range. You've been able to get 38% three-point shooting out of Elijah Martin. He's been able to notch right around 13 points per game. Brian Greenley, 10 points per game, another 44% three-point shooter. Florida Atlantic has a collective. They shoot 35% for three, 65.5% free line. I feel like they're a little bit more talented in this spot, but at the same time, you don't want to be laying tight lines when it comes to free throw shooting like that as well. This is a team that they do generate eight and a half steals per game as well. What I think is going to be big for them is trying to get a little bit more down low out of Vladislav Guldin, the seven foot one gentleman that winds up coming in from Texas Tech is able to give the team five and a half points, 5.8 rebounds per game. And I certainly do think that he's going to have a little bit of advantage on those Zach Austin for a high point has been able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game. And then you've been able to get right in the neighborhood of about five rebounds, six points per game out of Emmanuel Uzabaner, but with that said, I do think that High Point hangs in this game. I could only make Florida Atlantic a two-point favorite, so you are at three. Going to be taking a look at the points, not necessarily the money line. I do think that you wind up getting late game following as well, so set this all at 144, so going over along with taking the points. 306-041, 306-042, you've got Howard, and they're going to be playing against Harvard. Harvard is a 7.5 to an 8-point favorite in your tallest game, and we're doing 146 and 146.5. I said Harvard as a 7-point favorite with Harvard. I do like what I've seen. Uh, they're a top two players. 
Chris Ludlam, along with Noah Kirkwood. Both of these guys are able to give you 15-plus points per game, but both of these guys have very good versatility as this duo has been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 14.5 rebounds per game. You've been able to get over 4.5 steals from this pairing as well when it comes to Harvard. They are shooting as a collective about 35% from three-point range. The ancillary pieces have really been able to step up for the team as you've got 43.5% three-point shooting with 8.5 points and 4 rebounds per game out of Kale Catchings. And then you've had Luke Sakota, who's been able to shoot about 41.5% from distance, 11.5 points per game. So these guys have been very good. You've had Lewis Lesman wind up missing a few games, but he wound up returning for that White Cross game. Only played 13 minutes with zero points. So that is a little bit of an issue that you do wind up having with this team. But when it comes to Howard, the big issue that you have with this team turnovers as you've got someone at the top in Elijah Hawkins who's able to give you 13 points four and a half boards seven assists and 2.2 seals per game but 4.9 turnovers per game that's one of the highest marks for any player in all of college basketball now Howard shoots 40 percent for three-point range you do turn the ball over 16 and a half times per game but I think it's also going to be key Randy Brummett doing a good job down low nine and a half points six rebounds per game this is a team that has been dealing with a couple of injuries but it looks like they might be getting back Khalil Robinson he wanted returning in the game against North Carolina A&T a guy that a few seasons ago was able to notch right around four assists per game as well. So he could be a little bit of an interesting mixer and shaker for this team. And then when it comes to Ty Bibbs, a transfer from Columbia, he's been able to do a solid job out there in the backcourt. Ten and a half points, two and a half assists, three rebounds, shooting 38 and a half percent for three-point range, at least 12 points at each other team's last five games. So he has heated up in a big way. Howard has really looked better this season. I think that Harvard has enough run and talent to be able to get the win. I don't think that they have enough to be able to cover. Set them as a seven-point favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points. Set this total at 145 as well. You've got a Harvard team that's looking to play really slow and Howard they've always been a very fast team but they've been a little bit less fast this season so we're going to be taking a look at the under and I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Howard we move on to 306-043 306-044 Loyola Marymount is going to be hitting the road to face off against Bellarmine Bellarmine is getting three and a half points and your total on this game you're getting it anywhere between a 138 and a 139 and when it comes to the amount I wound up setting them as a seven and a half point favorite with Bellarmine I just have not bought into the team all season long and until I see them wind up playing some good basketball against a division one opponent I am not going to because when it comes to Bellarmine this is a team that wound up losing quite a bit from last season they do have Dylan Penn back he's been able to give the team 16 points five rebounds five and a half assists per game but a team that was very prolific from three-point range last season shooting nearly 40%, 31% this season. Now, not a lot of their shots do come from three-point range, so that helps them out, but you've got one guy that's giving you more than five rebounds per game in Justin Betts, six and a half points, six rebounds, has been able to give the team three assists per game as well, but when it comes to Loyola Marymount, they're going to have the best player out there on the floor, Eli Scott, 16 and a half points, seven rebounds, three and a half assists, 1.2 steals per game. He doesn't shoot threes, but Joe Kitana does. Kitana is making 94 and a half percent of his threes, so it's 43% of his threes. 14 points per game is what he's been able to put together. Demain Douglas has missed a few games this season, but he is back and he is fully loaded. He's been able to get this team right in the neighborhood about 11.5 points per game chipping in their 12 plus points in now four of the team's last five games. Actually, set nine plus rebounds in two out of the last three as well. So, set a nice job there. Kelly Leu Pape has been able to give you nine points, five boards, shooting 37% for three-point range amount. As a collective, they shoot 75% free throw line. 16 turnovers per game is a little bit unsightly. And then you take a look at Bellarmine. And this is a team that, as a collective, they turn the ball over only about 12 times per game, but they are one of the more deliberate and slow teams in all of college basketball. I do think that the sheer rebounding of Loyola Marymount is going to be able to win out. So, I made them a seven and a half point favorite. Also, did wind up making this 
it's total 137.5. If you've got a Bellarmine team that actually play at one of the slower tempos in all of college basketball, so I'm diving under, and I'm going to be willing to lay the points. 306 045 Iowa is going to be playing us at Southeast Louisiana. Louisiana is anywhere between a 26 or a 26 and a half point underdog. We are total on this game, and between 154 and a half and 155. I made this line 26 and a half, so here at 26 to 26 and a half, I'm willing to lay it when it comes to Iowa at 27. Then I will be starting to take a look at Southeast Louisiana. When it comes to the Tigers of Southeast Louisiana, they do have a pair of guys in the backcourt, and Gus Okafer, along with Keon Clergeau, who have been able to do a nice job for this team. They've been able to combine for 25 points per game. You've got Clergeau shooting about 30% from three. Okafer more on 37% from distance. They both give you at least a seal per game. And for Southeast Louisiana, they do generate nine seals per game. They don't necessarily have a ton of depth, but Ryan Burkhart winds up coming in from North Florida. He's been able to give the team seven and a half points per game. He's shooting 36% from three-point range. He just need a little bit more rebounding in general. Got one guy giving you more than five and a half rebounds per game, and that'd be Jalen Hinton, who is hitting the glass with 11 and a half points, seven and a half rebounds, and he's been able to give the team two blocks per game, but you do take a look at the Iowa team and you've got Keegan Murray to deal with, and Keegan Murray is right now playing like an All-American. 23.5 points, 8 rebounds, a steal and a half per game, shooting 32% from 3-point range. You've also got his brother, Chris Murray, giving you 11 points per game and shooting 50% from 3-point range. Pat McCaffrey, right around 11.5 points, 3 boards, 2 assists per game. This is an Iowa team that is committing 8.4 turnovers per game. They are one of the most efficient offenses that we've seen in college basketball this season for Southeast Louisiana. The fact that they wind turning the ball over at one of the higher rates and all of college basketball also makes things all the worse for them. So it's a spot in which I did wind up making Iowa a 26.5 point favorite. So I'm willing to lay that 26.5, really nothing more when it comes to the spot. And I did wind up making this total 162. Iowa, very efficient on offense, Southeast Louisiana, looking to kick up the tempo and not very efficient on defense. So we're going over and I'm laying the points. 306-047-306-048. You've got a cancel game between Alabama State and Memphis. We move on. 306-049-306-050. You've got TCU. And TCU is going to be playing us like Grambling. Grambling is finding themselves as a 21 and a half to a 22 point underdog. You're tall on this game and between 132 and 133. I want to say TCU as a 20 and a half point favorite. When it comes to TCU, no doubt it's a team that has quite a bit of talent on there. I like what I've seen out of Mikey Miles, a guy that has been able to be one of the more efficient scores in all of college basketball. 17 points, four and a half assists per game. Shooting about 32% from three-point range, 80% at the free throw line now. Three and a half turnovers per game. That is a little bit rough, but at the same time, you do have Emmanuel Miller being able to help him out with 10 and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. He's able to shoot threes, doesn't necessarily do so well, but when it comes to TCU, this is a team that, with regards to seals, they generate right around seven of them per contest. Not great, not terrible. They only shoot about 30% from three-point range, but they do a good job of being able to eat up the glass. Mike Peavy, six and a half points, five and a half rebounds per game. You've been able to get six points and five and a half boards as well out of Eddie Lampkin. And then you take a look at Grambling and AJ Taylor has been able to do a nice job down low for the team. Ten and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per game. Only shoots about 29% for three in a Grambling team that has been very up and down with regards to the three-point shooting in recent years. Shooting more in the middle this year. About 33 and a half percent for distance. Cam Christian along with Dana Kingsby are both giving you about 12 points per game. Both of these guys are shooting a combined about 44% for three-point range. So they've really been your top guys there. You've been able to get a little bit over three assists and seven points per game out of Trey Michael Moten. Moten has been someone that I've seen a little bit of a dip with his three-point shooting, but has been able to help the offense flow a little bit better. And when it comes to rebounding for Grambling, other than Taylor, you really don't have anyone that gives you more than four and a half boards per game. You need someone like a Taron Randolph to be able to step up. He has been injured throughout much of the season, only give the team three and a half rebounds per game, but he did wind up having 11 points, four boards in the team's last game against UAB. So perhaps that'll get him going a little bit. I do think that you wind up seeing a little bit more of an up-tempo game TCU. Not necessarily the greatest at being able to guard the arc, so I did wind up setting this total 
total 134 and a half, so I'm willing to go over. And with TCU, going to make them a 20 and a half point favorite, so take a 21 plus with Graham. Like 306051, 306052, you've got Kansas State, and they're going to be playing us to make these Make these say find themselves a 20 to 20 and a half point underdog in your total on this game. You're going to be getting it at a 137. Set this total at 143. You've got a Kansas State team that they are starting to play a tad bit more up-tempo because you do have a guy in Nigel Pack who is certainly packing the box score. He has been able to shoot a little bit over 45% from three-point range, and he's been the team's top scorer with 14.5 points per contest. And Burke Noel has really taken over the floor general role. 12.5 points, four boards, four and a half assists. Only shoots about 31% from three, but does make 89% of his free throws. Has been a little bit all over the place when it comes to his scoring and just overall production, but has been able to give the team a little bit over two seals per game as well. And then you take a look at McNeese. You really don't have any sort of a facilitator when it comes to the team, but you do have the medley of bacon. Brendan Medley Bacon, Ian Miles Lewis have been able to combine for about 21 points per game. Medley Bacon, six and a half rebounds, 1.2 blocks per game. You've got a guy in Lewis who last season while he was at VMI was a very versatile player. He was able to knock down 43% of his threes, just 17% this season, so it's been a little bit rough. DJ Moss, the South Carolina transfer, has been able to do a solid job of giving the team eight points per game, and you get more around eight and a half points out of Colin Warren. Warren and Moss are combined to be able to shoot about 34% from three-point range, and when it comes to making these eight, they generate a little bit over 10 seals per game. They've got good depth. Even someone like uh, Harwin Francois and Jonathan Massey, who give you five to six points per game, are able to contribute for the team. So I do take a look at this game, and I do think that McNeese is being a little bit underrated, even with Kansas State having all that they do in the backcourt with Mr. Nigel Peck. And you've seen a couple guys really be able to emerge for Kansas State. You don't necessarily have ideal rebounding. Mark Smith is right now the tops with regards to that 9.5.75 rebounds per game for the Missouri transfer, shooting 39% from three-point range, by the way, as well. But when it comes to Ismail Massad, eight points, four and a half boards, a 36% three-point shooter at six foot nine. He does a good job of being able to stretch the floor. And then you've got Kazoo Zigu, who's been able to give you six and a half points, right around five rebounds per game. He's been able to emerge a little bit recently with six plus boards in three of the team's last four games. So I do think that this is going to be a spot in which Kansas State wins relatively comfortably. I think that you see a little bit more scoring in this game. So this whole 143 going over, but could only make Kansas State a 15-point favorite. So take the points. Here at 6 53 here at 6 54 New Mexico is going to be playing us in Norfolk State. Norfolk State find themselves anywhere between a 6.5 to an 8-point underdog, and your tallest game is anywhere between 151 and 152. With New Mexico, I set them as an 11.5-point favorite. I feel like bookmakers have not really been giving New Mexico their just due. When it comes to Norfolk State, it's a little bit of an intriguing program because... We do have a couple moving parts from the team that wound up making the NCAA tournament last season, but you still have Chris Bankson, someone who wound up shooting 81% from the floor a few years ago. That was one of the top marks in all of college basketball, but you take a look at him down low. He's able to give the team seven rebounds per game, not a guy that's necessarily able to stretch the floor in. He shoots very badly at the free throw line for a Norfolk State team that, as a collective, they shoot about 69.5% at the free throw line, 13.5% to an overs game, which is big for them. Joe Bryant Jr., 14 points, 2.5 assists, shooting about 31% from three-point range. That's why you get the ball to Christian Inks. He shooting 47% from distance, 10.5 points, a little bit over three assists per game himself. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're going to be able to get out of this New Mexico team. And Jalen House has been housing teams right around 16.5 points per game, 4.3 assists. He and Jamal Mashburn Jr. combined to be able to shoot about 31.5% for three with Mashburn Jr. 19 points per game with right around 2.5 assists. 
per contest. Jethro Muscana, who winds up coming in from Kansas, he's been able to haul in there right around five rebounds per game, a little bit over nine points per game. So these guys have been rock solid. And you've been able to see a little bit more of Jay Allen Tovar recently. He wound up being able to give the team at least six points in now three of the team's last five games. Had a double-digit amount of rebounds in two out of those last five as well. So you got to figure that he's going to be in the planes for the team moving forward. And when it comes down to it, I think the Norfolk State is going to have a little bit of a tough time down low. I think the New Mexico is really going to be able to pump up the tempo. I wound up setting this little at a 152. So we've got a 151.5 and a 152. I would lean to taking the 151.5 over before the 152.5 under because I do think that there's a chance that you wind up seeing a little bit of late game falling and New Mexico has just been one of the top teams of the overall season long. So I default there. And when it comes to New Mexico, set them as a 11.5 point favorite. So we'll want to lay the points. 306 or 56 You've got UTEP and they're going to be playing with NC Central. NC Central between a 13.5 and, and a 14 and a half point underdog. Your tallest game is saying we're between 134 and a half and 135 and a half. I set this line at 13.5. So here at 14, I'm willing to take a shot with NC Central. NC Central was able to completely house Delaware State a couple days ago, but with that said, that is Delaware State. Interestingly enough, NC Central has been playing at a top 35 tempo in all of college basketball this season. They've been playing fast, but they haven't necessarily been efficient up until that game against Delaware State, but you do have a guy in Randy Miller Jr. that I like. He winds up coming in from Indiana State, right around 13 and a half points per game, shooting 35% from three now. NC Central has certainly had their warts when it comes to their offense. This is a team that, as a collective, they shoot about 65.5% free throw line, 31% from three with 15 turnovers per game, but they do also generate 10 seals per game as you've got Eric Boone who's been able to give you right around two seals per game. He's been able to do a nice job being able to give the team eight and a half points just under four rebounds per game. Justin Wright has been Mr. Wright. 8.8 points, 3.4 boards, shooting 43% from three-point range, and he's been able to do a good job of being able to generate some swipes as well. In the team's last five games, he has been able to give the team a combined 12 of them, so that has been huge. And then you take a look at what you've been able to get out of UTEP, and this is a team that I feel like is starting to look better and better by the day. Sully Boehm has been able to give you 21 points per game, shooting 36% from three. UTEP has been shooting 75% free throw line, 31.5% from three. Feels like a little bit of a disjointed bunch, though. They are trying to adopt to that amoeba defense of Joe Golding. They're only getting right around 11 assists per game, so you know that there's a lot of isolation right now. Keontae Kennedy has been able to give you right in the pocket of about 11 and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, but that's why you wind up bringing in Georgetown transfer Jabari Sibley. Now, he hasn't taken a ton of threes, but shooting 50% from three as a six foot eight stretch player has been able to do a good job being able to give the team six and a half points, three rebounds per game. Now, we haven't seen a lot out of him recently. He played a combined nine minutes in their games against New Mexico and McNeese State. So, got to figure that he's probably dealing with a little bit of an ailment, and if he winds up playing, it'll be for limited minutes. But when it comes to UTEP, I could only wind up making them a 13.5 point favorite. So now that we're even seeing a 14.5 out there, I'm going to take the points with NC Central. They're one of the better coach teams in all of college basketball. Lavelle Moton was actually the AAU coach of John Wall. He always does a good job when it comes to the team. So I'm willing to take the points. Set this on 137.5 as well. I do think that you're going to see a relatively frenetic pace with both teams trying to generate a bunch of seals. So going to be going over. And we wrap things up with 306057, 306058. You've got Nichols, and they're going to be in the road face off against Oregon State. Oregon State is a 5-5.5 point favorite. Your total is anywhere team. 143 and 143 and a half. Wrong team is favored here. I want to make Nichols a two-point favorite. You've got an Oregon State team that has a Ray loss on their home floor to Sam Iamford. 
UC Davis, and Princeton. What makes you think that they're going to do any better against a Nichols team that very nearly went on the road and was able to knock off Wisconsin? That was a very close game, and I just take a look at this spot, and what are you going to be able to get out of Oregon State? Now, Oregon State does have a little bit of a revenge spot as Warworth Altisha actually began his career out there in the Southland, so you do have that, I guess, as he's been able to do relatively solid for this team, a little bit under 12 points per game, six and a half rebounds, and then you do have Gerard Lucas, who's been able to give this team right around 12 points per game, but Oregon State they are a team that is shooting 30.5% from three-point range, 66% at the free throw line. Been able to have Maurice Kalu be able to give you right around seven points per game, but he's been dealing with a couple of injuries. Did wind up returning in that game against Texas Tech, but only had six points in that one. He has not looked like himself recently, and for Nichols, Ty Gordon is probably going to be the best player out there on the floor, and I say that not even jokingly. 20 points, three and a half rebounds, three assists, shooting 39.5% from three-point range. Nichols does only shoot 60.5% at the free throw line, but they generate nine steals per game. They turn it over just 12 times. They shoot 36% as a collective for three-point range. You've got right around eight points per game out of Caleb Huffman. He's been a good cog from the MAC Conference. Latrell Jones has come in, and he's been solid as well. After spending last season at Portland, he's been able to give the team 10 points per game, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. And when it comes to Nichols as well, Emmanuel Littles down low has been able to give the team eight points, six half rebounds, so he's been able to do a nice job down low for the team. I take a look at the Nichols bunch overall, and I do think that they're going to be able to slay Oregon State outright. I think that they're going to be able to drain enough threes, and I think that they're going to force a lack of disciplined Oregon State team into some turnovers. So taking Nichols on the money line. When it comes to the solo, that's a bigger question. I wanted to say in the solo at 136. Got an Oregon State team not necessarily playing fast. Nichols is as well, but Nichols isn't necessarily the most efficient team themselves. So I'm going to be diving under as well. And that'll wrap things up for the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Soups. A big thanks to Curtis Rogers of 710 ESPN out there in Seattle for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast. Got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters here, they mean does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Them from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.